At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Today's Rave Friday is, is what it is. Uh, going forward here from henceforth on, every Friday will be a rave in the Benzinga office. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to my Twitter account and look at what I tweeted this morning because, Aaron, so what the hell are you doing over there? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on my phone, right? I'm, I'm getting back on my computer, right? Give me one second. Okay. Okay. So uh, I'll, I'll tell you about what happened to me this morning. So um, first off, we had some snow last night. So it was, it was like an icy snow too. So I woke up extra early to get here early. And it was all, everything was going fine. The roads were whatever. Roads were not great, but fine. Um, and I roll up at around 6.30 or so this morning. Uh, and I, I get to the office and I, I like – I have headphones in, and I, I, I get inside, and I'm, I'm listening to my music, and I, I hear – oh, boy, we lost Aaron. And I hear, like, music that's not my, coming from my headphones. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? So I – Aaron, are you okay? All right, well, I, don't, I hope we get Aaron back. Um, I take my, my, my AirPods out, you know, because I have AirPods because I'm fancy like that. Um and I hear like club music, and I'm like, "What?" And then I was like, "Oh shoot!" Like, are, we have a Sonos in in our office, like in the speakers that are in the ceiling tiles and stuff. And this, I was like, "The Sonos is on." And I was like, "Oh!" And I, I think years ago, uh, I I had access to it, and I used to like mess with Jason whenever we would have like events and stuff. I like in the office, he would like turn the Sonos off on, and I would always like turn it way down, like just to piss him off. But I like, I took it off my phone. I like just cleaned up my phone one day. I was like, I don't, I don't use this anymore. So I, I deleted Sonos and I, I, I'm unlinked to our account now. And then, so I don't have access to our Sonos. So I downloaded the app and in order to log in, I had to like, um, I had to like confirm, like it, it detected my device detected our Sonos here. And it gave me like an email I had to like enter the password for. And it was like, it was started with a D. It was D, like in the asterisk, the rest of it. I was like D dot 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 at benzinga.com. I was like, who the hell, who the hell could that be? So I, I had no idea who it could be. So I was like, all right, let me just like do a couple things and then I'm going to go get some coffee and then I'm going to go figure out how to turn this thing off. Um, and so I did a few things and at around 7.15 or so, I was like, all right, I need to get some coffee. So I went to the cafe to get some coffee, Aaron. And I left my badge on my desk. Oh no! And, I and got it was too early. Okay, because yeah. it was too I got, early. I got locked out of the office. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh crap!" So um, I went to the. We have multiple security desks. So I went to the first desk, and she's like, "All right, I have to call the engineer." I was like, "Engineer, just scan me." And she's like, "I don't have. I can't do that." I was like, "All right, fine." Then I went to the desk downstairs, and I was like, "I'm locked out of my office. Can you please let me in?" And she was like, "I'm going to call the engineer," and I was like, "No." Don't call the engineer. She just called the engineer. Just give me a, a guest badge. And she was like, oh, well, hold on a second, sir. Did you leave your badge inside or are you locked out of your office? And I was like, I left my badge on my desk in my office. The lock is fine. 
My badge is not on my person. And she's like, oh, well, that's a big difference, young man. It's a difference between being locked out of the office and leaving your badge. And I was like, all right, fine. You're right. I'm sorry. I left my badge in the, in the office, and I can't get back in. Please, someone let me into my office. So at this point, it's like 7.35. And no um, one, like Luke wasn't in the office yet? No one? No, no, no. No one is No, no one is here. It's just me. So I get back in finally, and now I've got the Sonos. It's still going. Right. And I was like, I was like, damn it. So I, I call Aaron Thomas and he says, he suggests like Ro, it's going, playing from Rohan's computer, which it, it's not. And then I call Rohan and he, and he actually tried to help me. He was like, well, try going on Spotify and, and connecting your, your phone, uh, like change, like, like through the Bluetooth, connecting your phone to the Sonos. And that didn't work though. And I was like, okay, well, who do I think did this? Who do I think was playing the Sonos last night? It was probably Michael Murray. Let me call this guy. And I call him, and he's awake. And I was like, dude, were you playing Sonos last night? He was like, yeah. And I went, it's still playing. Turn it off. Because, like, there's no I – couldn't, I couldn't function. It, like, it was loud music. It was loud, and it was, it was blasting. And I, I, I couldn't do anything. I, could, I wasn't going to be able to do the show this morning because – I couldn't hear myself think. Um, and he's like, okay. Uh, he, he goes, one, one second. And, and then he goes, um, is, is the music off? And I went, no. And then he goes, okay, how about now? And then it stopped. And I just hung up on him. And then I, and, and so at this point, it's 7.45. I'd been here for a little over an hour. I had been locked out for about a third of that time. Um, and that was, that was my morning, basically. So I, I, Spencer, I don't get you know, you know how my morning started. Uh, it was with me calling you. Yeah, it was, it was a, <laughs> hearing your beautiful voice <laughs> trying to fix the Sonos. <laughs> we, but, but, but what, what device was it playing off of? It had to be a device in the office. No, that's what I don't. I think it was Michael Murray's laptop, but I think he thinks because he shut it or something like that. So, so I don't quite understand how Sonos works, but it was playing from his laptop, which was in his apartment, which was like what, like a mile away or a half mile away. Um, so I don't know. I, I thought your Bluetooth had to be like connected, like within Bluetooth you just range have to be on the Wi-Fi. It's not Bluetooth. You just oh. have to be on the Wi-Fi network, which I still don't understand how that worked from the apartment. I don't get it either. Anyway, that, remi- yeah. that reminds me of, um, you know, the touch tunes thing they have in, in bars and whatnot. Yeah. Where you can like get on your phone and, and play music from the jukebox at the bar through, through the app. Yeah. There are there have been like funny times where people play pranks, whether it's like a say like an Alabama you know football song, and they'll start playing it like in Auburn bars, and uh, that happened after the uh, St. Louis after the Blues won the Stanley Cup back in 2019. We had a song during that run, Gloria, and people were playing Gloria in like Chicago bars and stuff through touch tunes, and people were getting really upset. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um... No, so the, the 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 moral of the story is that we need to dis we need to uninstall the Sonos from this office because well Trent Trent saying the moral of the story is short Sono. I don't know. I, if that's I, the I would love to. I Trent. I Trent. I would love to short Sono. S O I know. Um, I like just a revenge short. I'm so I'm so angry at this company. So I tried to um, because I downloaded the Sonos app right and I couldn't log in, but I went to their support page. And first of all, their support is only open from 9 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern time. I'm sorry, 10 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern time. And so it's at this point, it's 7 a.m. So I couldn't talk to anyone. So I, I, I talked to the, the you know, the, the chat bot they have. Like they have those like robots. 
you can like talk to you. And uh, I said, turn off Sonos. And it gave me a few options, none of them which, which were helpful. So I, I, I typed, turn off Sonos. And I did that three times. And then I just gave up because I, I can't talk to a robot at 7 in the morning. So um, anyway, that was my morning. Uh, I, I want to hear about your adventures, though, because you also had an adventurous uh, journey yesterday slash today. Yeah, so yesterday flying out. So basically all like, – so one of my good buddies has a house out – or his family has a house out here. Uh, his dad actually might join us on the show. I talked to him about it. His dad's a, a financial advisor at Morgan Stanley. But anyway, um, we a bunch of us were flying out from different places. Of course, me uh, and, and another buddy from Detroit. We're going to fly out of Detroit. Some Some people from Chicago – the guys that were flying out of Chicago had to like change their flights because there were storms coming from Chicago. But um, my my buddy from Detroit that was supposed to fly yesterday, his flight got canceled. I thought my flight was going to get canceled. It hadn't. I left the office yesterday around like I don't know three thirty p.m. Maybe I don't know. Um, but it was it was like you said, Spencer. Ice icy rain. Like the highways mm-hmm. were slick. People were only driving 35, 40 miles an hour. Oh yeah. Um, so I was worried about missing my flight. But when I got to the airport. Security was 100% empty because every other flight had been canceled. The guy scanning my boarding pass was like, are you sure, man, your flight's not canceled? And I was like, I don't know. Apparently it's not. Um, (laughs) And then we got on the plane, sat on the tarmac for two hours, which is like one of my biggest pet peeves. Like if you're going to delay my flight, at least let me hang out in the terminal and like get food, you know, whatever. Don't just make me sit on the plane, like in a cramped plane for two hours before. Because like in the terminal, you can at least like stretch and you can get up and walk around. Yeah, and plus I was yeah. in I was I was in a window seat, so I was like cramped in the back of the row. So if I wanted to get up and walk around, like people would have to get up for me. So it was a disaster. I, I was worried for a second the whole flight was gonna get canceled. I wasn't gonna make it, but eventually we finally took off at a, I believe about six forty five PM when the original takeoff time was four forty five PM. Mm. Um but yeah, man, I mean it was eventful, it was uh stressful, but but we made it and I'm and I'm glad to be here and I'm yeah, thankful that I'm, I'm able to join you on the show today from here. Yeah, I, I'm grateful for you today, Aaron. And no, Shelly, it was not Bree who left the music on. I, I do, I, I blame Bree for a lot of things, but I knew that it couldn't have been him to, that that have left the music on overnight. I could have only wished to be able to <laughs> be that be that uh, that much of a troll from from from, from thousands yeah. of miles away. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and. Sometimes I, when I get here, I'm not the only person. I'm not the first person here. Uh, today, I was the only person here until about like 8.30. So, uh, yeah, I'm just by myself. And I was prepared. I, I almost called Joel and Dennis, and I was like, guys, I, I'm not doing the show today because like yeah, – like this sound is, is... – I can't. I can't. And everyone that I told to, I told to, they were laughing. Everyone thought it was funny except for – I still don't think it's funny because I was stuck here. Everyone else thinks it's hilarious. I'm glad you all think it's funny. Um, <laughs> Could you imagine if – because if, sometimes Jason gets to the office really early. If, if it were Jason, oh he would have been freaking out. Oh, God. I th- Well, that would have – I mean, yeah. That would have been that would have been not good. And so whoever keeps asking, why don't you unplug it, th- there was nothing to unplug. It's playing through through – like it's connected through an app. There's not – there is – and our speakers are in the ceiling tiles. There's nothing to unplug. 
I don't know. Whatever. Short SONO. Revenge trade the crap out of the stock. Uh, okay. Uh, so here's the deal for today. We have a bunch of guests lined up. We have Jesse Kaler who's going to come on in a few minutes. We have uh, Tim Quas coming on today. I'm very excited to talk to Tim, as always. Uh, we have uh, an interview with the CEO of um, ticker INST, right? In structure. Yep. Yeah. Tell us about that one. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like you mentioned, we've got the Instructure CEO coming on, Steve Daly. Instructure is most well known. I believe they have other products and services under, um, you know, the company. But the main thing is Canvas, which is the remote, uh, you, you know, online learning platform that's used through a lot of universities. I don't know about you, Spencer, but I used it um, in yeah. my university. So I'm ex excited to talk to Steve about uh, that. And see kind of because what i'm really curious about right is the company uh, it's one of those services and companies that grew a lot during covid mm -hmm. but what i th what i'm curious about is we switched so where i went to school we switched from blackboard to canvas um and this was well before covid this was in like 2017 2018 so there has to be something about canvas that makes schools want to switch to it and, and I'm curious if they can keep some, some of that momentum going uh, beyond COVID or, or is, is this going to die out with a lot of the other COVID plays, right? And speaking of that, Spencer, I know we got Jesse Kaler going to join us, but yep. uh, we got to talk about Roku real quick. Oh, man, it was it's getting brutalized out there. So Roku did the one thing that you can't do um, if you're a growthy tech stay-at-home play right now. The one thing you can't do, and that is, well, I mean, you, you have to if that's if that's the reality. But uh, the market does not want to hear anything about slowing growth. If you talk about growth slowing down, uh, they're going to punish you. The, the the biggest thing from from Roku here, uh, and I'll, I'll go to the news feed uh, in Benzinga Pro because the earnings were out last night. You really want to pay attention to their their guidance. It's not so much the earnings. It's not the stuff from last quarter. Look at the guidance. The Q1 net sales guidance came in below estimates. And then they gave EBITDA guidance. That was so far. I think a year ago, their adjusted EBITDA was like $150 million. And they're guiding adjusted EBITDA to be 55 down from 150 a year ago. So the EBITDA is going in the wrong direction. It's not growing. Again, that's earnings before interest taxes. Um, uh, interest, taxes, debt, and amortization. Um, so the EBITDA is shrinking, i.e. their growth is slowing. That You can't do that right now. They will punish you for it, and they're punishing Roku for it today. Um, 40 million shares are traded. It's down to $108. Let's go Let's go back out further. Let's see how, how far back do we have to go, Aaron. We have to go back to June of 2020, the last time Roku was here. It's brutal. Yeah, I mean, um, and that's what like I think is so interesting right now about some of these growth stocks. And I don't want to go fully off topic from Roku. I mean, the title of today's show is Roku versus Netflix because I was expecting to see Netflix trade lower off this news, and it was it actually did the opposite, traded higher. Um, and and I don't know if there was another. You know, we can check Benzinga Pro to see if there was another headline in that for Netflix to see if if there's a, a cause for that move. But um, th this might be a case of Sometimes you have these sympathy plays that move together, they move down together, they move up together. But sometimes if they're in the same industry and one stock 
or one company showing weakness, you'll see investors kind of flock to that stronger company that's in the same industry. And I'm curious if that's what we're seeing going on with Netflix right now. Well, sometimes, yeah, I'll pull up that Netflix chart for you and, and we can look at it. Um, I'm going to say in this, in this instance, Netflix is beholden to the overall market. So there was a, there was a pop off the open there, but that pop happened. That was a broad based rally off the open. Well, what, and, what and, I'll say on that Spencer is Netflix, which it's given up a lot of its gains from today or, or how high yeah. it was, but it was, it was up higher than the overall market up higher than overall tech. Um, maybe so. Sure. I, if you, I, I didn't look, but if you say so, I believe you. Um, regardless though, if we just compare this to the spy or the, no, let's just do the cues and you can just even just see. Uh, well, yeah. So, 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 so for clarity, 25 minutes after open Netflix was up about three and a half percent, 3.6%. Uh, the yep. cues, I mean, we're never up three and a half percent today. They were up no, 0.3% no, at, yeah. at the open. So yeah. I, I hear you that it's trade with Mark with, with the market, but my point is just that Netflix was, up higher showing that there were that for some reason people were buying netflix this morning i don't know if it was because of the roku thing if there was other um it, it, you know things impacting that but i, I just thought that was interesting because i was actually expecting yeah. uh after roku's report to see netflix down again today interesting all right i, I want to bring jesse kaler on the show uh jesse uh his handle is elite trading and i've been very much looking forward to this uh I need to hear what Jesse thinks about the market, but also I need to hear, hear his... what Jesse. I need to hear what Jesse did with the ten bucks I've emailed him. I, I want to hear about that, but I, yeah, yeah. All right, Jesse Kaler uh, joining us live from Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, or they, or they, I took the shrine down. Hey, what's up, the guys? Shrine, you took the shrine down, Jesse. Um, first off, how? I, I mean. I'm sorry. I I'm heartbroken, but it's okay. We lost by three. We drove down at the end, had a chance to win the game. And you know what? We had more penalties in one drive than we have on all season. So something, you know, sometimes the bookies got to win too. No, I'm just kidding. No, it was a good game and, and we enjoyed watching it. So. All right. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you had fun. It's not about winning or losing. It's I what the friends made along the way. Afterwards, I did not talk to anyone. I just put, I said, oh, there it goes. Going to bed. So it was a long day. It was a fun day, but I, I mean, there was a point there, Jesse, where it, it was looking. Things were looking up for you. The yeah. fourth quarter there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was curious, kind of, what out of Bengals fans, like how much of it is, because it, it certainly was. Like, I don't think it was one of those games that was 100 percent determined by the ref. But if you are a Bengals fan, then you definitely have an argument that like there were a lot of flags on the last drive. Yeah, I mean, or in the last five minutes of the game. Yeah, it was ridiculous. We were like the least penalized team in the NFL. <laughs> and then we had in the whole game, 50 something minutes, we went with like one penalty, I think. And then we had six or seven in one drive. So, it, uh, okay. But anyway, we're shorting restaurant stocks. Is what well, that's doing. what I was going to ask you, Jesse. Are you just short everything right now? Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> and yes. He's revenge shorting everything. And I'm cash, like 70% oh, cash about two weeks ago. Thank God. But I I only kept in my portfolio. I just got this weird feeling where everyone just kept – I got my phone was ringing off the hook, and I'm like, man, every time this happens, we get a, a like a pullback in the market because everyone's bugging me. And I'm like, so what are we going to do? Um, I left all my 2023 long contracts that I have that are for like basically lottery plays that I use like 5% of my portfolio to just kind of play with things. Uh, one was like S and DL 
and I actually got a run up. I mean, my calls were, this is where I just kind of want to make a statement. My calls went from worth $5 a, a, a contract to 15 in three days. And then today they're worth 12. And I sold, you know, I sold a few right. and got, and I've been averaging down. And I tell people that you're like, if you're going to buy something out for two years out and it goes from 50 down to $5, you need to buy some more, you know, if you're planning to hold it. So I bought some and, but I, you know, I tripled my money now on that level, but I'm still down from when I bought them at 50 bucks, you know, at the same time. So I'm down like 8% on the total uh, trade on SNDL, but at the same, you know, no one's talking about, and, and no one wants to talk about, you know, when they sell too early or, or things like that, or like when they lose money or when they're only, averaging down and making some of it back they're not actually coming back out of the position and this is the point where today i just was like i'm just going to get out of it completely and i'm going to take my eight percent loss put the money back in, into something different once i feel like it's time and um for i've been getting some information about darden and uh texas roadhouse like these different companies that have had some really good runs and they've been consolidating for a while and they all have similar charts where they look like they're going to have maybe a good pullback to get some 50% retracements on that, those previous moves up to the upside. And I think a lot of it's going to be doing to do with the, um, the restraints for getting the products they need to continue doing business the way they normally do with um, having inflating the, you know, costs going up. Um, so, so that's what I'm curious about. Is the thesis like more along the lines of, of rising costs for the, Restaurants and, and restaurants don't have, I mean, they they have the ability to raise prices to try to meet um, some some of the increasing cost of production, but to a certain extent, right? Like if I go to Red Robin and they have a ten dollar burger, they could raise that burger to eleven, twelve dollars, sure. But if, if they raise it to fifteen, I'm I'm not getting a burger at Red Robin for fifteen dollars, right? So I, I think restaurants are in one of those cases where they're, they're more restricted in how much they can raise prices to take off some of that, um, you know, to offset some of those costs of, of rising, uh, rising cost of production. Um, but, but there's Jesse, there's always going to be a special sweet spot in my heart for a short trade on Darden. Um, I, I, I feel like I've told this story a million times, but I actually, I, so I worked at a Red Lobster in college. Darden used to own Red Lobster, doesn't anymore. But right on the onset of COVID, kind of when I had first gotten into trading, uh, I shorted Darden because I was still in like our, our Facebook employee group, seeing what people were saying about what was going on at the restaurant um, and, and made a lot of money on that short. And that was what kind of like hooked me on on options trading was shorts on Darden. Well, on and, Darden. There, and there's like a uh, guy that I know that's uh, that owned, not owned, but he's um they call them something different. They they're like lead managers of the district and they get stocked and they have like actual, they earn money by if the store does better, they actually make money. It's not like a, um, like a front of house manager, if that makes sense. He's like a general manager, but with a different title, but he was saying, he's like, yeah. Um, cause he knows I'm in the market and I trade. He goes, what do you think about Texas roadhouse? I was like, you know, I've never looked at that stock before. I said, I'll pull it up. I didn't even know you were publicly traded. I said, I'll take a look at it and I'll see, um, what I think. And I said, from what it looks like, it looks like you guys have been making nothing but money and happy. I said, is there, is there a catalyst? Is there a reason? And I said, we're looking at the chart. I said, you've had nothing but just greatness since 2020. So maybe for me, technically, I said, I'm just looking for a pullback. If I was an investor to get in, I don't have any, see any opportunity to buy it for the long side. And then he said, well, I've been waiting for it to go down. And he's like, I've been thinking about selling um, because 
of the supply chain issues and with being not being able to get the, the things that they're they're needing and the lack of employees wanting to work and if they're going to raise the, the the wages up for servers that's a big uh cost for restaurants that they've never had to uh procure before they've been paying these people two dollars an hour for 50 years so if they start having to pay servers seven eight ten dollars an hour that's a huge difference you know you're talking 10 time multiples five time multiples with just a single couple bucks yeah and i will say uh jay rice in the chat pointing out that a lot of these food stocks whether you're talking about true uh cheesecake blooming brands uh chipotle are all green in in a kind of rough market today so there could be some relative strength shown in those stocks i don't know um but or is it just uh, short term because you know they're just not talking you know maybe something a little safer right now i I, well, I think that's it i think on this spectrum of risk technology is way to the end and restaurants are a little bit less so so well that's why so i, I this remind this conversation's reminded me of uh jesse i don't know if you were listening but a, a week or two ago spencer and i went through all the holdings of uh persian capital bill ackman which was mm -hmm. only seven stocks and about half of them were were food. What Spencer, do you remember off the top of your head? I know Domino's Pizza yeah, was in there. Yeah, he, he's got Chipotle. Domino's he, is amazing. He's That's got something I He's got Chipotle. He's got Domino's. He's got Howard Hughes. And that's all I remember off the top of my so head. So if you say to Chipotle and Domino's, those two are basically, in my opinion, they're in their own uh, realm when it comes to the restaurants. Because nothing's really ever performed the way that those two have in the restaurant you're talking hundreds of companies and these two are just they've just done nothing but really great when it comes to owning shares for those companies i mean look at chipotle it's well well yeah it's funny you meant that these two i mean domino's and and, and i remember when domino's was going out of business i remember when they were yeah. going out of business and there was there were, every one of them was closed down everybody i knew hated the pizza and do you remember they when they they revamped like their whole menu yeah, but I didn't realize that the franchisees, they were killing it. Like, even though people didn't like the pizza and they were dying everywhere I saw, somehow these they were making money uh, eventually when they did this rebrand. And uh, they did well since, I think it's what, it's probably been about eight eight or nine years, ten years since they rebranded. And as Yeah, well, and it. in that time, over the past ten years, I think Domino's is the, if not one of the best performing stocks over the past ten years, yeah. um, which is just incredible to think about. I mean, you have the, you know, think about companies like Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and it's like Domino's is the best performing stock over the last ten years. But over the last twenty years, it's monster. So maybe there's a theme there that it's food related. But yeah, Domino's um, started a, like a business plan a, a few years back where they said, okay, we're gonna try to get as many even if they're really small locations just in as many like street corners as we can because they wanted to be, they wanted to have it that no matter where you were or what part of the city you were in you could get a domino's pizza within like 30 minutes like so they've had a lot of success with that where instead of having um say like five full-fledged locations they'd rather have like 10 or 12 smaller ones that they just know they have a wider radius of, of more delivery options yeah, I think we'd be remiss not to throw Shake Shack into this conversation. So for a long time, Domino's, Chipotle, and Shake Shack were the three restaurant stocks that, for whatever reason, got assigned a higher multiple than the rest. And they were – I mean, they've been very cyclical, but those three have had huge runs at various, various points. Shake Shack reported earnings last night, and you can't paint every restaurant – stock with the same brush right think about 
like the customer base from a Domino's or Chipotle versus like a Shake Shack. Shake Shack is in downtown areas. It is in areas where uh, that that cater to professionals. It is near offices. Um, it's a you know kind it's of a, a celebrity place. stock. It, 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 well, it's a place you go for lunch on a Thursday, like like during work, right? Um, and the reopening trade, while it's been hot in other areas, clearly is not happening here because they, they said in their earnings report, like, yeah, I mean, we people aren't going back to the office, and that and, and that's hurting us a little bit. So they actually gave uh, guidance below estimates here yesterday. They said their sales guidance is going to be. Uh, they said sales guidance for the quarter for the quarter in right now will be around $200 million versus a $210 million estimate. I know the stock is actually uh, rebounded, I think, a little bit here today. But, um, I, again, it, it, different kind of uh, – yeah, it, it bounced off the open. But different kind of restaurant stock. I'm, frankly, I'm not really sure. I, if I had to guess why it's up from the open, I would say, like we said before, it's not a technology stock, and that, that, that sometimes that's all it takes. But but Chick Shack's report was not good, to be clear. It was not – this is not – the kind of report that makes you feel good about like the feet, the, the, the near term future. Does it for, or does it set them up for a big beat after this summer? And we have, well, that's the other side of that coin, right? Are they lowering Look the bar now? Are they lowering the bar now so they could destroy the bar later on? So we've continued, they've made higher highs on these monthly, on the monthly chart. And then they've made a higher lows when they've pulled back. This looks like it's ready to, to maybe go back and try to make an all new high in the next couple of years, in the next two years, maybe. I did. I will mention uh, to the conversation that that I had Shake Shack last night. Ah, okay. So maybe next quarter's earnings. Oh, I also wanted to show this real quick. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this, but a a month or two ago, uh, New York Times ran like a story about a guy who was I saw this. Matt, yeah. So he's so the reason is funny. So he, it's an option. He's an options trader, Mr. Marsh in Chicago, and he said he left uh, Chipotle because his burrito used to be in the mid eight dollar range. Now it was more than nine dollars. So you're talking about like a fifty cent to a dollar uh, price increase of a burrito, which I don't even know. I lose fifty cents every day out of my pocket. I, I don't even know if like if Chipotle has raised prices Literally. across the board. But what's funny about it was that the New York Times did this whole story and then Chipotle reported earnings like a week ago and they said the exact opposite, that we haven't seen any deterrent in, you know, customers from like a, a small increment uh, rise in prices. And it was like this options trader who, you know, it's like you, you should be able to, you should be able to, to, to afford a $9 burrito. Right. You, you, you would think Adnan, so. Adnan, is this, is this true? I, 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 I'm look, I saw that tweet. Wait, tweet, I saw- the tweet? So, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I saw that comment. No. So apparently if you go into the Spotify app right now, this is not like an official, it's not from a news source. It's like, if you go to the Spotify app, I'm going to do that right now. They sold off on the headline. If you go, go to Spotify and search for Joe Rogan. Did the headline? I I have it. Oh, something went wrong. What time did the headline come? Oh, damn. Me too. Me too, Aaron. Something went wrong. When I pull up uh, another one of my podcasts, it loads. Uh, short Spotify, everyone. No, I'm just kidding. That is not trading advice, but uh, if you guys <laughs> we want to jump in. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's surprising. I mean, geez. 
Yeah, I, I'm just alerting our. I mean, what was I, the company that you guys just had on here that would be like, "Hey, I want to take on Joe Rogan if this happens." Wasn't that just who was that? Uh, Rumble. Well, we talked. We had Ben from Story Trading talking about Rumble, which is uh, CTVI, I believe. If they go up on this, is that what can we get or CFVI? CFVI, CFVI. Sorry, CFVI. I'm 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 typing right now. So the Spotify is trading down. For that. They, that would be so great if they just were like, and then they announced this and the stock rips to a hundred. <laughs> I saw one that did that the other day when I was looking at the market movers and there was one that moved like a hundred yesterday. Whatever it was. Wait, uh, Al, Alan Verga. Yeah. Uh, we're always hiring. It just depends on what for. So... They're not hiring you to trade for them, I bet. No, (laughs) we're not going to hire you to trade for us, Alan, if that's the question. We're not going to do that. We're not hiring traders. Uh, I got uh, first dibs anyway. If Benzinga needs any type of trader to come work for them (laughs) and start doing any broadcasting or help with some developing, especially your Discord, I could... I'm sorry. You guys need some love there. I can help there. Whoa! Aaron Thomas. Aaron Thomas is the man who supposedly uh, is... Wait, was it Aaron Thomas? Or no, he's he, he's focused on our Twitch. Wait, you don't even know on... how to run Discord from what we heard, Spencer. No, no, like, I'm not. Uh, you can't I, even get I, in there. What? What? No, I can get in Discord. I'm just kidding. Somebody said that, and they're like, they're like, Spencer doesn't even know how to work his Discord. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I can get in if, <laughs> if, if that's if that's what we're it's talking so about. It's so binary, but it's. It's, I love it. Uh, wait, I would just say this. Discord is not that easy to use, okay? Can, it's can not we just, user-friendly. It's nerd-friendly, I feel like. Can we just... Yeah. It's I mean, computer programmer-friendly and developer-friendly. <laughs> it, it honestly reminds me of, of, of MySpace because I can never figure out how to make my MySpace like cool. Discord gives me those same vibes. Discord's like, like, you're not supposed to be cool. We're here to make information quick, efficient, and alert process. You know, you know yeah. what was funny was the other night when I was at... Uh, on Thursday night, sometimes uh, some a couple guys from the office will like go out to a to a bar to get some work done, uh, get some food, ha- have a good time, you know. And there was a kid who came up next to me. He saw me looking at a chart. He was like a 21 year old kid. Came up and was like, "Oh, what chart are you looking at?" Like all this stuff. And um, I actually remember it perfectly because it was after Hood's uh, report, and like yeah. Robin Hood was like making new all time low. Like the stock was just so ugly. There was nothing. From the previous and i was like oh i'm looking at robin hood's chart he was mostly like a crypto guy and i'm like what do you see in this chart kind of joking with him because there was literally nothing to see because it was just going straight down like no no lows to the left can, can uh, i guess can i can i guess what he said what did he say he said it's forming a bottom <laughs> no I don't, I don't even remember oh. what he said but my Damn. my point it's was forming at a one cup point, handle I, going to the i moon. pulled up my slack and he's like oh what is this is this like discord and i was like you know what <laughs> Yeah, Slack is like Discord. Slack basically. is like Slack is Discord for work. It's Discord exactly. for work. It Discord, Discord, for work. Discord for gaming. Slack's Discord for work. <laughs> Slack it. is Discord, but on, like nowhere near as cool, I think, in my opinion. But um, what my Wait. my safety pick of the year, just as what I've been holding out on, is Pete Procter and Gamble. Uh, if you're looking for dividend plays, this is a less sexy, a less uh, aggressive boo, no 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 not boo not boo keep boring. going here procter and gamble if you just look at the chart look at the um 10 yearly uh dividend uh that they've been talking about that i've been trying to read more of because i'm not a dividend expert but i have people in my group that i usually go hey 
tell me, is this going to be a good dividend play or not? And a lot of times they'll do their analysis and say, yes, I think it's a good or not. And I was told yes on this. So, um, you know what? We always get a visit from the little ones and they, they're breaking in the door. What do you want? And kids, am I, am I right, Aaron? Spencer, yeah. you're uh, going to know my feeling. You're going to be like, how do I do this? And they're going to be like at the office. Your, your wife's you're, you're going to think that she's going to just sit at home and watch the kids, but they hit about two to three or four, and they're like, you know what? I don't care what you're doing. They're showing up. I Yeah, I, I, I feel that. Just get All a right. dog. <laughs> Jesse, Jesse, it's great to talk to you, man. I, I was I was very interested to, to find out what your uh, mental state was going to be uh, today, but I, I'm, I'm glad you have bounced back. It seems like you're just – you're just ha- it was a good season and you're happy to be yeah. there on the first you should place. have seen the route they had a afc championship parade like celebration downtown and it was like, crazy it was they said that i think we had like 10 times more people than that was at the the rams uh, uh super bowl wow. celebration and it was awesome but she's all got, right man hey hold on she's got something on her face for all you fans of cincinnati she's got cincinnati chili we were talking about that last time we were here oh yeah they're eating i i thought I thought if you won, they were going to turn the river to Chile, but I guess I guess we, we, we lost, we so they we turned the river just to nothing. But Procter and Gamble restaurants are going down. Um, invite me back. I'll see All you right, guys. we'll talk to you next week, Jesse. Have a good yes, one. Sir. Yep. All right. Uh, okay, uh, Aaron Breeze is here. Uh, he'll be back in a second. But our next guest will Sorry, also be I on. Was, this. I was yeah. giving some no. uh, our news desk some more clarity. Can you hear me? Yes. I was giving our news desk some more clarity on the, the Joe Rogan Spotify situation, which we will be watching, um, updating if you're just joining us. I, for some reason, the uh, Joe Rogan's podcast and Spotify is not loading right now. So Spotify, uh, let's see what the stock's doing real quick. Uh, I mean, it's down. Although it's, it's, very, diffi- it's very difficult today to, to uh, attribute no, moves – no, it is because I think this like people like this whole thing on Twitter. People talking about Joe Rogan and stuff has come over the last like thirty minutes, an hour, talking about how you can't get his podcast on Spotify right now. And the stock really hasn't made any moves off that news. It looks like so we'll see if I assume that the, the company Spotify will probably come out and say it was just some like technical thing, and then unless I don't know, we'll see. I don't know. Yeah, uh, but it's difficult to attribute moves in the market in individual stocks to anything other than the macro environment. Everyone just seems very, very nervous today. Not, well, not just today, but, but, but think about what today is. One, it's an options expiration, which means volatility. Two, it's the day before a three-day weekend. So that's, you know, people a lot of times, you know, will, will, Unwind any long positions, any any short term trades going into three. Nobody nobody wants to be long stocks for a three day weekend uh, in this environment with Russia and Ukraine um, doing whatever it is they're doing over there. Although I did hear that Biden is supposed to speak at four o'clock today about that, so take that for what it's worth. But um, ooh, uh, just very very coincidentally, right uh, right when the market's what? closed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there is the after hours session. Let me go uh, get my so. tin. Let me go get my tin hat on. Um, dude, dude, Joel always says that. Joel, Joel thinks that every politician, um, uh, or every like every speech is done, uh, in 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 confluence with market hours. He thinks oh, like I, everything. I, 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 
I think there's come on that. I mean, th- think about no, think about uh, like during COVID, we had a couple times um, where like Trump spoke, where the market just like ripped, and he would speak at like two thirty p.m. Eastern and give some good, you know, whatever it was at the time. And it's like if if the if they knew that the news was going to be bad, eh, maybe we push that till after Mark. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying. I, I don't think that like people are like well it's two saying, against one joel and i both think so you don't so i know whatever um uh, whatever we just, all right so we were just talking about uh slack being the discord of work yeah kind of you know communication services for work so so now let's segue into some tech communication services for education spencer mm-hmm. yeah can i roll my special intro we, we will. We're bringing on Steve Daly, the CEO of Instructure, ticker INST. We'll give, we'll give Steve special intro number one. Hey, I love Steve, special, special intro number one. Thank I'm you. Spencer. Thank you. Appreciate that. Steve, how's it going? How's it going? It's going awesome. It's Thank you awesome. for taking time out of your out of your Friday to join us. So I saw uh, Instructure. You guys are are headquartered out of Salt Lake City. We are. Yeah. Is that is that where you're at now? That is. Yeah. Cool. I'm up yeah. in the Rocky Mountains, so uh, we're not too far away right now. Oh, where in the Rocky Mountains? I'm in Breckenridge, Colorado. Oh, very nice. Very yeah, nice. Pre- President's Day weekend. You yeah. Know. Yeah. I wish there was more snow, though. Don't you? Yeah, well, it snowed here. Uh, a you guys got to come where I'm at. You got to come to the Mortis City. We got snow every. All, we got Detroit. all kinds of snow when yeah. I. Was... <laughs> um, so, Steve, before we begin, um, do you want so in structure? It's, it's a newly public company. You guys have been on the markets for what two two months now, a month and a half maybe. Um, do you just want to give our audience a, key, a brief rundown of what it is that Instructure does? Uh, kind of outline Canvas, the, you know, one of the main services and products. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. So uh, as you said, Canvas is, um, we, we make Canvas. Canvas is a learning management system. It's the, you know, it's the number one learning management system in, in uh, North America. Uh, we have about a third of all higher education institutions are using, using Canvas and nearly half of all students in the U.S. higher education system uh, have used uh, or are using Canvas as well. Um, and, um, you know, what we do is we really connect uh, teachers with students, uh, with parents in the K-12 systems, uh, with administrators. And we, you know, we simplify and we automate a lot of those kind of manual processes that teachers and, and students go through uh, and, and, and really underpin the digital transformation that's happening across the education industry today. Yeah, so... so um... Steve, I think it's very interesting because, you know, uh, obviously, you know, Canvas probably, you know, grew a lot during COVID, right? When universities were forced to go remote. But I, you know, in in college at University of Missouri, we switched over from Blackboard to Canvas, I want to say in 2017, 2018. Yeah. What, what, I mean, so before COVID, what's like the big selling point to big universities like that, why they would want to switch because let's be real, it's a hassle to switch over your whole management system from one thing to a new thing. So, so what was the big selling point to say, hey, we're better than Blackboard? Um, is it all tech based, or you know, what what are the selling points there? Yeah, there's a, there's a few things. So, you know, I, I started um, with Instructure about 18 months ago, um, and so we, you know, as a company, we were public. We went private. I came in when we went private. We did a lot of uh, restructuring and 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 um, re reengineering in, at the company to come back out into the public markets, um, 
And uh, you know what? What when I went and talked to customers, there were there were a number of things that they said they loved about Canvas and about Instructure. First, first and foremost, they said, "Look, um, we love working with your people." Uh, you know, at, at Instructure, we have nearly half of all of our employees are in customer success, and, and uh, 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 you know, almost half of those were former educators. And so we really do approach it from an education perspective with the, you know, we can empathize, we can understand. When we built the, when we built the product canvas, right, it's cloud native. It was built in the cloud uh, where a lot of, you know, technologies like Blackboard were on-prem, you know, um, uh, old legacy technologies and, and um, universities, K-12 systems, districts, they're, they're all looking for what, do, you know, what is going to take me into the next, you know, 10 to 20 years, uh, I need a, a, a true cloud native kind of next generation sort of technology. And then the third thing is when we approached designing the system, we said, okay, historically the old systems were designed with the administrators in mind. And we said, let's, let's make this a really nice experience for teachers and for learners. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of the feedback I got um, when I went on my listening tour was, uh, it just works. It's it's nice. It's intuitive. Um, it, it it it's easier for me to use than um, than the old technologies and the, and the legacy technologies. I I'd be curious, Steve. Like the the implication of of any company that had that got, that got a huge tailwind from the pandemic is that that tailwind has now come off. Now we've seen this across yeah. the board and in, in everything from streaming to zoom to uh everybody basically so i i'm curious like can you speak about about that growth rate and, and how it looks now in in this in this reopening post-covid world yeah yeah so you know the nice thing is you know we reported earnings yesterday we beat on you know all of our metrics uh for the year we got we raised our guidance for next year uh, and there was, you know, there was this narrative about, okay, is, is once we go back in class, is, is everything going to go back and, you know, your, your tailwinds kind of uh, subside. And I'd say there's, there's two factors that are saying, are, are, um, have made that not to be the case for us uh, and for education. First of all was, you know, the digital transformation that was happening in education, it was probably a little bit ahead in, in um, higher ed. Uh, but but K-12, you know, was a little bit it was happening really slowly. And one of the challenges with that transformation was you had a, a, a bunch of teachers, right, that had 20 years worth of lesson plans in this four drawer file cabinet in the back of their classroom. Right. And to say, hey, let's put those all online. Right. Let's let's change some of you know how we teach and our lesson plans to enable this kind of interaction. Right. A, a digital interaction was a big lift for them. Well, during the pandemic, they had to do it because uh, that was the only way they could reach a student. So now, now we're now we're coming back in class, and they're saying, "Okay, you know, I used to have to go to that four drawer file cabinet, grab my you know my homework assignment for today, go make copies, go hand it out, go collect it, grade it by hand, put it into the grade book. All of that now is on Canvas, right? And and, and I don't have I, all those manual tasks that were such a pain." Uh, and took me away from doing what I got into education for in the first place, which was be with the students, mentor, um, you know, sh show leadership, those types of things. Um, the, all those things now are automated through uh, through the instructor technology. And so we're seeing usage on our platform is um, 
it's come down a little bit because, you know, when you're in classroom, you don't have to have a Zoom session, right? Um, and so you're not going to Canvas to launch your Zoom session, but still they're doing homework. They're, they're taking tests and quizzes on, on the platform. Uh, and, 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 you know, the, the, the number of students that have access to hardware increased dramatically during the, the pandemic. Uh, and so now it's being used in class while we're, you know, uh, in addition to, you know, hybrid or fully remote. And so, so again, we're seeing, you know, good usage of the platform, even after the pandemic is really, you know, it's not over, but it, even as we've gone back into much more in-person um, so, so Steve, I, and I don't know if you know off the top of your head, but it, you know, if not, you can just ballpark, but how much, what, what percentage of Canvas customers are universities and colleges versus like K through 12 school districts? Yeah, about, um, about half of our um, uh, users uh, on the platform are from higher ed and about half are from K-12. Okay. So I, I, I would have expected next. actually a higher percentage of higher ed. Um but, but like, like I mentioned earlier, right, when you, if, you know, even before COVID it, with Canvas coming to, you're going to school saying, okay, we can be better than Blackboard, whatever. It, it's a big decision, especially for like a state funded university, a 40,000 person school to switch over. In some ways, is that a benefit to you? Like once you get these schools locked in, they're like, hey, we, we're not going to go through the hassle of switching again, you know? Yeah, no, it is. You know, we have kind of you know, mid '90s gross retention rate. You know, low single-digit churn. Um, we've never lost a fully deployed uh, four-year institution of higher education, um, it, it, and so you're right. It, it gets embedded into the fabric of how teaching and learning uh, is delivered. The other, the other thing that's interesting in the education market is that. Um, you know, it's a it's a highly referential sale, right? Everybody's looking at what everybody else is using. And so every one of the Ivy Leagues is using us. The entire, you know, um, California community college system is is standardized on Canvas. Uh, entire nationwide systems in the Nordics have standardized on campus on Canvas. Um, you know, we won 11 of 12 statewide uh, RFPs that were let uh, in the last 18 months. Uh, and so we have a very referenceable base. And so as long as, as long as you take care of your customer, right. Um, and, and, and treat them well and, and, and give them the importance that they deserve, you know, cause they're doing a, you know, a, a great service for, um, for society as educators and then, um, and then get designed into the, into the business, you know, the processes of how teaching and learning that it is, it becomes really, really sticky. Yeah. And, and a lot of investors, sorry, Spencer, go ahead. No, no I just wanted to say like, in, in, I know you can't necessarily control this or speak to it, but I, I can't think of any other, any other charts off the top of my head that look like this for a company that is basically a, a, a stay at home play here. Uh, to I, frankly, this looks dramatically better than the vast majority of of uh, companies with a similar type of profile. To to what do you attribute the relative stability here? Uh, uh, you know, in, in the market. Yeah, uh, there's there's you know there's a few things um, you know that we we're really proud of. First of all, you know we are a company that is you know growing. Uh, you know, double-digit growth. You know, we just announced our growth this year was in the 20s um, percentage on the top line. Uh, but in addition, we also announced that you know we have 35% EBITDA margins, and so we've you know we've become we're a very disciplined company about where we spend our money, 
make sure we're getting the return on investment so that we can have both, you know, top line growth as well as, you know, world class um, profitability and cash flow. Uh, and um, and on, then on top of that, you know, we are um, we aren't seeing the, the, you know, COVID for us wasn't this big blip, you know, and now we're going back to pre-COVID levels. Right. It was a fundamental change in how education is being delivered um, around the world. And and so. Um, it is, you know, we're still just early days in the this whole digital transformation that's happening across education and the way we rethink about, you know, how we're how we're using technology in the classroom. Uh, and so, you know, I think we're still early days in that transition. And we sit right at the middle of that. You know, the LMS touches 90 percent of all the instructional workflows. Um, and so there's a lot more for us to do as a company in helping to automate a lot of these processes, again, that take away from, you know, what teachers are really trying to do uh, in the classroom. And so, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of room for growth in a company that, you know, isn't burning cash. We're generating a ton of cash, um, and but it's, it's still growing. So it's a unique combination, in my opinion. Yeah, and a, and a lot of investors really like the kind of recurring revenue model. Um, but mm-hmm. a lot of times it, it's, it's with the caveat that you have uh, low churn and also some substantial growth. So, um, you know, exciting to hear that you guys have that low churn down. Um, and, and yeah, you got, I mean, it's, it's undoubtedly you have the clout, right. To say if, if every school in the Ivy league is using us, then, you know, why wouldn't why you? Are, exactly. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> well, well I, I am curious, like how long does it take? Like, what is the sales cycle here, Steve? I mean, it's all word of mouth. Sure. That helps definitely. But like, how long does it really take to get into a, a, a yeah. state university system, for example. Yeah, it you know it's usually an 18, 18 month sales cycle, right? Okay. It ta- it takes a, it you know th- this isn't you know um, this isn't a decision that's taken lightly, right? Yeah. Because again, yeah. you, you've built a lot of these business processes around um, that. You know that's in a that's in a higher education because a lot of higher education uh, institutions already have something. Um, in in you know it's interesting in the K twelve systems. Um, it used to be a nice to have to have, you know, kind of this enterprise class LMS. Uh, we think about half of the market has a paid for, you know, enterprise class LMS, but half the market doesn't still. And so that's more of a greenfield sale. Sales cycles tend to be a little bit shorter. But again, they're 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 purchased with state funds. Right. So it's a very you know rigorous uh, buying process that they go through anyway. So. You know, yeah. 12 to 18 months is, is a typical sales cycle for us. Because from what I know about education is they move slow. Yeah, <laughs> especially a state, especially a state funded. Um, yeah. But but Steve, so we, we only got uh, two minutes left, but I want to touch on a couple of things. So uh, mm-hmm. you guys did report earnings yesterday, correct? That's right. Do you want to walk us just through kind of the highlights of that report? Yeah. So, um, you know, on the top line, we reported that for the year, um, our revenue was up um, 34 percent um, year over year. Um, and we reported 35 percent EBITDA margins uh, on the business. We added uh, we have we're up to nearly 7000 customers now. That was about a 14 percent increase in, in number of customers in 2021. Uh, and, um, you know, and uh, our our net retention rate was about 109 percent. Um, you know, built on the backs of that, you know, kind of mid '90s uh, gross retention and sing, you know, low single-digit churn, and so really happy about that. We were able to raise our guidance for um, for 2022, uh, and we'll continue to to make investments back into the platform. We're expanding our sales capacity. Big opportunity for us is international. We're still 
you know, single digit share internationally. Um, and so we also announced a channel program to go after more and more of the international opportunity, which should pay off for the next two to three years. Awesome. Yeah, we'll have to uh, keep watching in next quarter, kind of watch the the earnings report, get you back on maybe for some more updates. But the last thing I want to hit on real quick, we only have a minute, but I'm curious about this timeline of you mentioned Instructure was public in the past, then went private and is now um, public again. So I know, uh, so, so was it Toma Bravo bought out Instructure Wallet to, to bring it private? Yes, yes. So what was the, the decision then to uh, to then take it back to the public markets? Yeah, there were a couple of things. One is um, there is a, you know, we wanted our, our customer education, you know, um, as you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of interesting, uh, interesting dynamics in education, but really the the visibility that being a public company gives to our customers and lets them know, you know, because there was a lot of worry when we went private. Oh, this is just, you know, we're, they're going to cut everything out. The company's not going to grow. There's not going to be any investment. Um, the visibility that we have as a public company for our customers has has helped us in the sales cycle. Uh, and then the other thing is, you know, just, a, you know, the, every, everybody talks about it's a war for talent out there and having, you know, a public currency to be able to attract and retain yeah. the best and the brightest to help us in this mission. Um, being a public company has really been helpful. Our, our accept rates have gone up since we've been able to add that into the mix. So, so a couple, those, a couple reasons there, um, but see a lot of, a lot of potential um, upside. Uh, and Toma is still a, you know, a major investor in the company. Stock, yeah. stock has current stock has currency is I think huge. I think, yeah. I mean, you're not, you're not the first person to say that obviously, but like, that's like a, that's like a well-known benefit yeah. of being public. So yeah. And if you're, if you're going to do that process, uh, doing it with Orlando uh, Bravo and the guys over there, not, a, not a bad team to be with. No, they're awesome. They're a great partner. Yeah. Love working with them. Steve yeah, Daly, Steve. CEO of Instructure. Uh, All right. Thanks, thanks so guys for, for coming on today, Steve. Thank you for coming yeah, on. Awesome. All right. I got to say, Aaron, um, that th there are a couple of reasons why I should, in theory, not like that stock. And yet I kind of I mean, I like it. What do you mean? What they, are your what are your what are your reasons in theory why you wouldn't like it? OK, so Cause I have like broad because it, it's a covid play. So like like in theory, I, I these are broad based rules because I've been burned in the past. Companies that go go private and then go public again, generally speaking, in in, in my experience, have been underperformers. I got burned on, uh, I got burned hard on Kraft Heinz, but you can uh, you can look at um, Krispy Kreme's uh, doing all right. Is it? Is it? I haven't looked. I honestly, honestly don't know. We'll check it. Uh, okay. It was doing okay, but that's uh, okay. Okay, so that so that's one reason. I generally speaking, I don't love companies that go private and then go public again. That's one. Number two is we talked about the, the COVID tailwind, right? Every company that got a COVID tailwind has come so far off its highs. Now this is the exception, right? Um, and uh, nothing like price to change sentiment, right? So the price, like, like the chart, I think speaks for itself. I mean, it, it, it's education. So it's what are like, your reasons? So, so, so is that your reason for saying that even though you have those other reasons why you would usually be turned off by it, you're not kinda, just by the, yeah, just because sort of, it's holding up better than better than other COVID plays. Kinda, because it's so sticky. It's like it's it, it and and to Steve's point about you know the the paradigm being changing. Yeah, I mean, for sure, it's changed. It's changed forever. Um, well, that's what I was curious about with with because of my personal experience, and again, this is anecdotal, not yeah. you know uh, any metadata. But 
we switched over from Blackboard to Canvas, and this was well before COVID. So in my head, it's like, okay, maybe Canvas was growing pretty substantially before COVID. And then it was just that, I mean, and there were other companies too. I mean, I'm sure Zoom was growing before COVID and just got that growth propelled. Um, yeah, no. And then I, I think I, going forward, it'll be really interesting to see if uh, Toma Bravo, how they handle their their holding, because they still hold, a, I want to say a majority of the shares of Instructure. So no, I, I, I'm interested. I'm interested here. I, 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 I'm not going to go and buy the stock today, but like, I frankly I never heard of the stock before before yesterday. Okay, so um, I'm gonna put this one well, on my watch list. That can't be true because I, I brought it up on the show. But anyway, um, All right, you're right. Fine, I, I, uh, that was a lie. Oh, I got some lie. I said to Steve that they had only been public for a couple months. It looks like they've been public for almost uh, six months now. So apologies. I I am. This is going on the watch list. Okay. Um. The I. Uh. Now, would I be saying that if the stock was at ten dollars? Probably not. But the fact that it's held up like it has, I think that speaks for itself. There is no mercy out there for any techie play. And yet here we are in INST. Granted, it's, it's, it's got a very low beta. It's going to trade with a range, a range between 18 and 30 for se, uh, six months. So Well, that's what move, I think is interesting. That's move a lot. What I'm going to be really curious about with this stock yeah. is looking at what Toma Bravo does with its shares. Because if it trims, if it trims a little bit of its position after it takes it public, okay, that's no big deal. If it sells half of its shares or something, then I'm going to be like, okay, there might there must not be a lot of conviction there. Um, but if I see Toma holding most of these uh, shares, then I'm 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 I like this long term because. Look, education, COVID or not, education was already changing. Like e-learning was is becoming a thing. Are there yeah. downs? Are there are there upsides to it and downsides to it? Like anything else? Of course, of course. The the downsides of kids having to go remote learning throughout COVID they're well documented, and they're still gonna there's gonna be more and more data coming out about it. But at the end of the day, are there upsides to having more access to educate? You know, at Canvas and and having the integration of, of hybrid classes, being able to do some things online. Some of course. So I think COVID aside, the space is still it's a growing space. And this seems to be a leader, if not the leader, in a growing space. So um, I'm with you, Spencer. It's not a stock that I own right now. It's on the watch list. Again, this something is, I'll be watching going, for. This is going on the watch list for sure, for sure. Uh, and again, on paper, in theory, it's like, well, it's a it's a COVID play. You don't want to own any COVID plays right now. But this seems to be the exception. I mean, how many IPOs in the last year look like this? Like one or two of them, frankly. Well, to your to your to your point, Spencer, about this holding up than a lot of other quote unquote COVID plays, I would say this stock wasn't public when all these other stocks got that run up. So who's to say Maybe that's why. That's right. Why. If the stock was public two years ago, then it ran all the way up to hundred and fifty, then it'd be getting beaten up right now. But because it never was in that environment that I'm it did interested. get that incredible run up that now we're kind of steady. Plus, I'm pretty sure yesterday was either the first or second earnings report from the company. So it's it's fair to say that maybe people are just kind of hanging out or, or uh, until we get some more clarity on the, on the um, uh, financials of the company. Yeah. All right. INST, it's on my watch list. Uh, let's bring on Tim Quast. I, maybe we can ask Tim what the market structure looks like on, on that. Although I don't know if we'll have the data. It's a low. It's only, fl- yeah, it's, it's only, low, only been public low, for six months, so may not be. But Tim Quast is the founder of Market Structure Edge. Joining us uh, here on this special day because it's an options expiration Friday and uh, let's see what Tim thinks about all this because the yeah Ukraine and Russia doing stuff and the market in limbo and um, 
What does the supply and demand say about all that? Tim, what's up, man? How are we doing? Good to see you. Happy Friday, guys. AB, Spencer. Oh, wait a minute. You guys are are near each other right now. Oh, are you in Steamboat, Tim? Yeah, I thought you had that mountain home look behind you. <laughs> I, am in, I am in Breckenridge I, right now. Let me see if I can give you a more. We've got a, yeah, a nice little lodge, mountain lodge. Oh, that's good, good, good. Yeah. Same, same here, except this is... <laughs> Uh-oh, you, moved, you might have moved to a bad... <laughs> no, no, yeah, he's good, okay? he's good. There we go. He's back now. He's there we go. back now. Yeah. Well, right. well it, alas, Summit County and Route County are quite a long way apart. You know, oh, we talked oops. last week about, about, <laughs> about trying to, to catch each other, and we're, two, we're more than two hours apart, believe it or mm, not. Right. My, my, yeah. my Colorado geography needs work, I, I guess. Yeah. Uh, apologies there. Um, well, all right, Brian Blockchain. Brian... Go grab a beer, right? If, yeah, uh, yeah. We would do it if we, if we could. Yeah. Well, if we both drove toward each other, like maybe I don't know what the middle would be, Silverthorne or Dillon or something. Kremlin. You'd have we'd, to go we'd, to Kremlin. We, we, we could Kremlin. be having a beer. We could be having a beer in an hour and fifteen minutes from now, Tim. Roughly, we could. Roughly. Is it is it, is it snowing there? It is not right now. Doesn't okay. look like it. There's a lot of snow out there, though. Don't get me wrong. There's yeah. a lot of snow out there, but That's it's good. not currently mm-hmm. snowing. It's snowing here. It's uh, snowing on the mountain and on the, on the road. So, uh, so I would it would be an hour and thirty for me, just a little bit longer. Oh, because you right. have to go more up. <laughs> right. It, it, well, the conditions are a little more challenging here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, and you're right. I would have to go up and over uh, because we're actually a lot lower than you are. So Breckenridge is call it nine thousand feet, and uh, Steamboat is seven. But we you have to go up to eleven. And all and back down to nine. That's that's the uh, geography. By the way, if anyone's curious, curious, we are not going to talk about stocks or market structure today. We are only going to talk about Colorado geography. Talk talk Um, about talk about the weather and topography. (laughs) Well, it's you know it's an app. It is an app descriptor for the for the stock market. The stock market is nothing more than topography. That's what it is. Wow, what a segue! (laughs) All right, Tim. So Spencer, I didn't answer your question. Alas, we we do not have INST. Uh, yeah, I figured. The the thing that so particularly if there if there's an element of of uh, of the unusual related to how they rejoin the the uh, public markets. But I sent a note while we were talking to the team to add that to the okay. database because we could do it. Cool. cool. So uh, Monday we could look at that, Spencer. If you you or I remember, and we'll we'll have a look and we can tell people what market structure indicates. We can do uh, that. Okay, good. So, yeah, what I was going to say was Brian Blockchain said that you are, Tim is one of my favorite regulars. Uh, so, good to have you on, Tim. Well, Thank let's you. start, let's Thank start broad here that. and then we, let's you. start broad and we'll get specific then. But, okay. well, headlines affect arbitragers, headlines don't affect investors. Investors aren't looking at the futures, uh, the, the continuous stream of headlines. Uh, that that say oh it, the Ru- Russia's ma- oh no it's not ma- no they're massing oh they're no they're not yeah oh that's not what's happening so, the people who will profit from that are principally principally machine reading algorithms that will exploit slight price differences which is what's the definition of arbitrage 
buying and selling the same thing at different prices. That's the definition of arbitrage. So when everybody talks about the markets being influenced by these things, what they're really talking about is speculation. The entire the, the pantheon of punditry is obsessed with telling us about arbitrage, which, by its, which on its face is cognitively dissonant. If we're supposed to be focused on the, the fundamentals of investment, then why would we talk about that stuff all the time? So that is not the reason. It certainly has an effect. There's no question uh, that the market can, can be influenced by headlines because 53% of market volume comes from machines with automated algorithms. <laughs> They're going to react to that stuff. Only 10% of market volume traces back wholly to rational thought. And so, yes, that will be a factor. It's, but it's not because suddenly we all changed our investment posture because we're concerned about Ukraine. Frankly, I'm sorry, but at risk of, of saying something Chamath Polyapidia-esque, I'm going to say, who cares about Ukraine? Of what difference does Ukraine make to anything that matters to us? Zero. It does not matter. So the only reason it dominates the headlines is it's politically expedient to talk about it. So now let's get to what's really going on. <laughs> what really happens? And you touched on it, Spencer. During options expirations, uh, th there are black holes that develop in the marketplace. That is, there are places where light disappears. It's very difficult to understand how at risk the market is to resets to the value of derivatives. So all we can do as traders, traders, <laughs> pay attention to this, is to understand going into options expirations what the risk might be. You know, one of my favorite sayings, those of you who have heard me for a long time, I say the prudent foresee evil and hide themselves. So if all of the demand lines are flagging and all the supply lines are rising and broad sentiment has peaked and is falling into options expirations, what would a wise person do? They would avoid it. And it wouldn't matter what Ukraine is doing or what the Fed does. What matters is supply and demand. And I want to, you know, I, uh, uh, stop me there. Yes, go ahead, Spencer. I mean, I was going to say that that all sounds good, but I mean, I see it. I see it happen every morning. A headline hits and the yeah. market reacts to it. So it's machine hard to, reading you know. algorithms, machine reading algorithms. Sure, Realize sure. that over over 95 percent of trades execute on algorithms. The U.S. stock market is 100 percent electronic and 95 percent algorithmic. And those machines are positioned right next to the servers that spit information out. So I'm going to immediately consume that information and change my posture in equities and options. That's what I'm going to do. It's really okay. interesting to watch the long short fluctuations, by the way, Spencer. And it really shows up in cryptocurrencies. Uh, oh, if, if you like, I'll show you something. Here, let me yeah, show you something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we can move on from this conversation about wh uh, what is moving yeah. the market and more so get into how to trade it regardless of the, the right the, because there are there are good things to trade there right. you know well let's we can look at uh, docs docs doximity uh the, the i pointed pointed this out in the market desk note today if you look at supply and demand and i and i used a term i tweeted a term and i want to i want to i'm going to talk about that and what it means to uh, trading here in a moment but uh let's go look at cryptocurrencies so yep. i have What's a I, I have a uh, I have a cryptocurrency stocks portfolio. So here's the interesting thing. There are seven components in it. So I'm going to know 
When so if 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 demand begins to surge in that group and supply begins to wane, that's when I'm going to trade it. I'm not going to buy those things when demand is below five. But look at this chart down here. This chart, for those who don't know, market structure edge, is the is the is a is a uh, a treatment of short volume. So short volume is the supply chain of the stock market. It is the amount of trading volume on a percentage basis for a stock or a group or the broad market coming from borrowed stock. So notice that almost 50% of the volume in the cryptocurrency group, if you can see my screen, is coming Mm -hmm. from borrowed stock. But here's the interesting thing. Since January options expirations, this has been highly unstable. That's very unusual. So what that tells us is that there's a lot of algorithmic trading long and short in this group, and it's constantly changing. Almost every other day, it's changing. And so that's going to create a lot of instability. Now, on the demand side, traders, you're going to know, is there rising demand? Yes, yes. Oh, peaked, begins to decline. That's when you leave. Do you want to, it's, uh, which gets to this, this, this term that I want to share with you, traders. There's a legal term called ceteris paribus. What it means is all other things being equal. And it means, so if you, it, it, what we're doing is a qualifier. We're qualifying that all other things being equal, what determines the value of something? Anyone, anyone. What, determ- what determines the value of something? It's not a trick question. The price someone's willing to pay for it. Exactly, AB. Oh, what, someone is, what someone is willing to pay. So all this, discuss, you know, Amazon, oh, there's 30% more value in Amazon. Well, not if someone's not willing to pay that. <laughs> a stock could go down 40%. You know, well, stock's way you make, down. It sound, you make it sound so Tim. simple, though, Tim. It, it is simple. It is very, very <laughs> simple. There, the, things are worth what someone is willing to pay. And understanding what someone is willing to pay is evident in supply and demand. And the stock market is the only market we don't measure in those terms. We assign some kind of multiple to values. Well, in the, you know, in the housing market, we look at housing starts. And housing sales with supply and demand. Uh, in every other market, we look at supply and demand because it's the, the, it's the elementary way to understand prices. Since the beginning of time, since before the wheel, we have understood that prices lie at the nexus of supply and demand. And to the degree that they separate, prices rise. To the degree that they converge, prices fall. Not complicated, right? So all this discussion about Ukraine and the Fed and on and on it goes is confusing, busy with productive. Let me show you. All right. So one of the Spencer, we talked about this on Monday. So if you wanted to own something that was going to do the opposite of the market this week, how about this has been a this has been a tremendous one this week, Tim. I've been watching it. Right. And now it might be time, you know, we get to the end of options expert. I still think it could go higher. I think this supply demand divergence, even though it's it's been up and down today, says demand continues to rise. It's hit 10 and supply is still falling. All other things being equal, ceteris paribus, that stock could still be higher. That's what you want to find. You want to trade things that look different than a falling market. So the reason we pointed out docs today, you know, why docs? Well, I ran a screen for this. It's very easy here uh, because in any condition, no matter what is occurring, no matter how much politics or monetary policy are attempting to influence the market, there is always a supply demand opportunity. And so if you look at, uh, you know, why would we say, look at how docs is done today? 
look at that massive separation between demand. This is price. It's, and we're not precise about it because we don't care about precision with price. Price is capricious. Price fools you. Demand and supply are what matter. Demand is very strong and supply plunged right into options expiration. So that tells me people are having to cover calls. So the stock's up 2% two, two or more today. Well, you can know that that's coming. And that's what you want to trade instead of wringing your hands over what Ukraine is doing. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you one more. So, NV yeah. so I, I ran a screen today for stocks that have spent 20 or more of the last 30 days at 5.0 demand or better with short volume, the supply side, 48% or lower and trending down. That's below the S&P 500 and that trade $10,000 at a time. Very, very liquid. It only gave me five names. One of those is NVS, Novartis. So here's the interesting thing about Novartis. It's right at five. It spent a lot of time at five. You don't want to own it when it's below five. Above five, it does just fine. But look at this supply deficit. That suggests that come Tuesday, because of the holiday, there could be significant demand for new call options in Novartis. I'm not saying it'll happen, but that's a very good indication of something that you want to own. It's a su supply-demand divergence. If they converge, leave, because that's telling you that the price will now begin to deteriorate. Once again, back to very basic principles. Prices lie at the nexus of supply and demand. And when demand rises greater than supply, price increases. When they converge, price declines. It's not absolute, but it's a very good principle. Tim, someone in the chat asked a while, a, little, a few minutes ago before you came on about Roku, and I have my own thoughts, but yeah. I would be curious to see what your data says about Roku. I'm going to take a wild guess here okay. and say uh, demand is falling off a cliff. Okay, let's see. Huh. It's actually not. So That's demand hasn't fallen off the cliff, but the problem is the supply side. So this, it, it tells you the, the, the convergence of the two. Uh, clearly, Roku has spent a lot of time in the seller. It was a one, a one, a one, a one, a one. Then into February, the beginning of February, new month, new money. That's when new money shows up at the beginning of the new month. People are making wait, 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 wait. Can you? Yep. Oh, oh, okay. I see. I, yep. I, I see. So, yeah. so see at the beginning of February. So traders, listen to this very carefully. If you're tracking Roku and it ticks up from one. And then you look down at the supply side and the supply sides move in the opposite direction. There's your opportunity to trade. And it doesn't matter what price Roku is currently at or how someone on Wall Street on the sell side or the buy side is valuing Roku. Oh, Roku is very discounted. Well, th that's irrelevant. What only thing that matters is supply and demand. Well, there was your opportunity. But notice the trend line on the supply side. Up, 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 over trend. So the only reason that Roku is down is because supply is more. It's more than 60% of the trading volume is coming from borrowed stock or manufactured stock coming from market makers. So even though the support, the demand side is pretty good, that is destroyed price. It, this, price. This, still, this still breaks my brain. Uh, we've talked about this before, Tim, but like yeah. when – and, and the term for what you just said where a, a trading supply – Yep. comes from borrowed stock. I think the term for that yep. is rehypothecation, right? Uh, well, and, that's, a, that's a complicated term that, that means that stock that has been borrowed is lent again. So, so this uh, okay, is different Okay, okay, fine. This Sorry, is very that's different. different. And that's it's different. very simple. To, yeah, I, I don't want, I want to make sure that people understand that there's nothing nefarious about this. This is not naked shorting. It gets to the entire purpose 
of the stock market. If you're going to beat the market, you have to first understand it. And one of the core principles, and I know you, you want me to shut up on this, but I think this no, is no, very no, important. No, I, I don't. This is important. I, I don't want you to I, shut up I think up it is. That you, so, so, so listen to this very carefully, traders. What is yeah. the purpose of the stock market? You would say, well, it's to, form, it's to form capital. It's to match enterprising businesses that have growth prospects with risk-taking investors. Oh, would that it were. No, the purpose of the stock market is get to rich. foster a continuous auction. Yeah, well, you hope so. I mean, we want to get right. rich on it, but if we're going to get rich on it, you have to first understand its purpose. Its purpose is to make sure there's 100 shares of everything at the bid and the offer. Not more than that, that much. The trade size in the S&P 500 now is 102 shares. That's it. That's the average trade size. That's the average so once trade you understand, size. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So once so, you understand... Once you understand wait, wait. that uh-huh. all that matters is 100 shares on the bid and the offer, then who cares? Once you understand that that's the purpose, what, then what will cause prices to change is the degree to the, which those conditions exist. And it cannot exist. There cannot be a constant 100 shares of everything for sale unless the SEC permits market makers to create stock. And that is the supply side. It's not, it's not borrowing in the conventional sense. It is that the SEC says that Goldman Sachs, thou shalt in all the stocks that you make a market in, make sure that you have 100 at the bid and 100 at the offer. And Goldman Sachs says there's no way we can be sure of that. So you, unless you exempt us from that rule, the short locate rule, we can't do it. And the SEC said fine. So we always know when those conditions exist. Right? Wait, wait well, why does that have to? So if 100 shares is the average trade size in the S&P, frankly, what does that have to do with every stock, every other stock in the world? out there i'm not sure i understand your question the average trade size in the are you you're, are you referring to like the s p 500 index yes well, the say, 500 components the 500 components of the s p 500 yeah. average 102 shares of course amazon averages oh oh shares. oh you're not referring to like i thought you were referring to the spy you're not referring to the spy you're referring to the the the, oh. the aggregate the aggregate average of all the stocks in the S&P 500 is 100 shares per trade. Exactly, which notice okay. is the okay. regulatory, very near the regulatory minimum bid and offer. And what then does that tell you? It tells you that almost half of all trades are less than 100 shares. So what do I do with an algorithm? I do it as a trader myself. I very rarely buy stocks in increments of greater than 100 shares because that liquidity won't be there. Now I've comp- I'm, I know I've exceeded the requirement. So most of the time I trade in 95 share increments at unusual prices. I behave just like an algorithm. Now why? Because somebody else has to execute that trade by law if it's a marketable trade. If it's a limit order within the bid and the offer or a market order. These are things every trader should understand. How can, you can't trade the market without understanding what's going on in there. Right. That's the beginning point. So once you understand that my 95 share of share trade in Roku at the market has to be taken by either my own broker or someone else. Now I'm I'm at an advantage. But t- Tim, what are the consequences of um, broker dealers being able to get around the basic create shares out of thin air? I mean, there are consequences to that. Meme stocks. Meme stocks are a consequence of that. How did, how did GME go up 1,000%? Well, because market makers kept creating more and more and more and more stock. Well, at some point, it's got a mean revert. 
all this stuff that you were talking about earlier about some of these, you know, the, the great COVID trade and how these stocks soared yeah, and then mean yeah. reverted. It is a consequence not of people misunderstanding the value of things, but of market structure. If you, if you manufacture artificial supply to meet excess demand and then that demand stops, all of those things are going to have to mean revert. It may happen instantly and it may happen over months, but it will well, happen. That's what, I, that's what I think is, is so interesting about this idea and concept is that it actually does offer a better explanation, at least to me personally, of yep. like what, what has gone on with these meme stocks, what has gone on with Tesla. And, and, and there will be some people who are maybe Tesla bulls who would say, oh, no, if you look at this number and this number, this is what the stock price is justified. But at the end of the day, it's like what you said. It's just a price of, of what someone is willing to pay for that given name, for that equity on the stock market. But, but my question is then, exactly, does the, um, is it fair to say in your mind, Tim, that the, the fundamentals or some of the more traditional metrics that people look at uh, when looking at stocks, then that plays into uh, the supply and demand? Well, it's a factor. It's an it's input. A factor. It's an input, you know, in the same way that the, you know, the economists measure total factor productivity, where there are eight different factors that determine productivity. There are multiple factors that determine the value of a stock. Ultimately, it all converges into what someone is willing to pay, but their motivation will be different. My motivation and how you get there, a, right? Exactly. So if I believe Roku is it has a third of its value that it could have five years from now, then I'm looking at fundamental factors and I'm trying to estimate what its growth prospects are, its ability to improve its margins, its, its ability to remain at a competitively superior position. But if I'm Citadel, all I care is what was the price a fraction of a second ago when I bought it and should I sell it now or short it? Those are both equal motivations in the market under law because under Reg MS, no market may give preference to one kind of motivation over another. So somebody who is speculative has as much right to set the price as somebody who is fundamental. The problem for fundamental investors is they're 9% of trading volume. 91% of trading volume comes from a different derivation. It may be part of that. So again, you just have to know that that's the case. And so it, what it does is it tells you that the most profitable behavior is short term. And then how would we prove that? Well, you look around for evidence. Citadel, Renaissance Technologies, they're very short-term participants, and they make more money than everyone else put together. So there's something to that. Right. And that's what we're going back to the fundamental. I mean, because you'll see fundamental investors say, oh, say Facebook stock right now is 20% undervalued. So we're targeting a 20% upside on the stock. And it's like, only if people are willing to pay that 20% upside, are you going to get that 20% increase in the stock price? Exactly. And if nine out of 10 participants in the market do not think that way, then this is what you will get. Look at Facebook's deplorable market structure. There's, you, you could say, well, Facebook's come down, whatever it is now, at 50%. It's come down, oh, look, 40%, 40% in value. So it's got to be a good value. Well, no, not again, back to the point, your point, AB, uh, the correct answer. What is somebody willing to pay? And what's the supply demand equation? Put those two things together and you should... You shouldn't touch Facebook with a 10-foot pole right now. When those conditions change, and they will, they absolutely will. We will get to a point where indexes have to rebalance, and they're going to go look around and say, well, I need some cheap stuff. And they won't care what Facebook's prospects are. They just want a cheap product to fill their index and, and meet their uh, component requirements. At that point, trade it, and you will see it in the demand.
All right, Tim. I mean, love having you on, but every time we have you, I talk to you. I, I, I feel like I need like a nap after because it's like so much to wrap my head around. Well, can, I can, hope we can get back to you know. Just remember, supply and demand. So well, wait, yeah, wait, can, wait. No, no, go ahead, Aaron, because I, I, I want to ask him something also. Well, I was just gonna okay. say, born to be free said, "Damn, Tim, I feel like I've been to school every time you come on." I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just uh, unfortunately in, people in close... hate school. Born to be maybe, free. maybe it's yeah, just true. because I'm in in closer proximity right now to you, Tim, than I usually am. But I feel like today's session uh, was especially <laughs> informative. Good. Wait, wait, Good. wait. I want to ask Tim about you, failures baby. to failures to deliver. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about this previously, Tim. Yes, we have. Um, how Threshold how yeah. yeah yeah how how often is does that having such how big a deal is that it's public information anyone i I, I know i know everyone probably i mean they publish it like they like they publish short interest it's not real time but you, but you get it eventually and 80 percent of them are etfs uh which which are e, etfs take this whole concept to a, a different level and we won't bog down in that it's Oof. not a factor spencer Failures to deliver are not a factor in the way that the market functions. Neither is shorting in the sense that the Department of Justice now has launched an inquiry into short selling practices, which I find amusing because the Dodd-Frank legislation from 2008 includes a requirement for monthly short reporting. The problem is Congress did not specify a time frame. And so because of that, the SEC has not regulated to that legislative wait, requirement. Wait, that, that, that monthly FINRA reporting that wasn't around before the, before the recession? Is that what you just said? It hasn't been implemented. So it, it is the equivalent of a 13F. So a 13F comes from the, the Securities Act Section 13F, which is a, uh, a, a quarterly filing by institutions with $100 million or more of assets under management that are... 40 right. act companies, 40. Right. Right. So, so then they are required to publish right. that data right. 45 days after the right. end of the quarter. Right, 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 right. But the, 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 the short, the, 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 the FINRA, sh- the monthly yeah. FINRA reports, no, they're bi-monthly. It's every two weeks, right? So that, that's, that's short interest. That's short interest. Oh, that's, and that's short interest is not regulated by either FINRA or the SEC. It is a federal reserve requirement under regulation T. And that was created in 1974, and it has not changed since. And it's all the same as useless. It does not tell you anything about the market's former function. So that's why we measure short volume. Short volume is a 2009 FINRA-regulated requirement for brokers under SEC Reg SHO. So that that is a reliable figure that tells you about supply-demand fluctuations. Here's what I was – my point, Spencer. Dodd-Frank required people like – pick your – you know, Carson Block, uh, Muddy Waters. You know, so so, uh, short sellers to report their monthly short positions. But the SEC has not implemented that requirement because Congress put no time frame on it. And because the lobby – for, from SIFMA and other very, very powerful financial interests is so great, there is the, no one's furnishing that information. But here's the kicker. Barely 1% of short volume is active short selling from the standpoint that I'm deliberately targeting a company. You know, Maybe 10% of it is coming from long, short hedge funds. And then the rest is market makers just manufacturing it. Okay, the reason I brought this up in the first place, uh, and I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here, but 
the the the, the, the FTD, the failure to, to deliver concept yeah. has sort of got it, the idea of that has really gotten legs in the last year as it pertains to AMC and GameStop specifically. Yeah. Um, to to your point of view, from your point of view, is that a factor in the in the the daily movement of those stocks? No. How often did they show up on the FTD list? They're on there, but it's not. I mean, I, I haven't looked in months. I'll be honest with you, Tim. I haven't looked in in, in a while. If they showed up two times, I would be surprised. And it and it's a tiny little bit. It, that's not the problem. It, and it's the if you go read. Again, traders, you can go do this. Go Google uh, SEC GameStop report. It's a 45-page document. They do a very, read, very read, good job. I read that. Yeah, they do a very good job of, of explaining market structure and that there are rec- – they explain it, that the, you know, the, the, it, they just speak in you know, regulatory speak. It's difficult language. Yeah, but yeah. the problem is, is market making, but, they, but they're stuck between the you – know, Scylla and Charybdis, rock in a hard place. They want a continuous auction. The, and, and the only way to pre- prevent a GameStop situ- situation is to remove that ability for market makers to manufacture stock. The trouble is intraday volatility would explode to 20%. Stocks would be moving like crazy. You wouldn't be able, you try to sell something and go down 20%. No one would take the other side of a trade. So which is it? So they've chosen meme stocks over a, a, a market that really reflects supply and demand. Something I'm, um, I'm curious about right now yeah. is uh, volume, because I, I see, and I know a lot of times we have a couple of technical traders that come on the show that like to look at the volume bars to see, you know, whatever. But like, I, I, I see, I just saw a tweet saying 50 million shares of Roku traded so far today, average day, daily volume, less than 6 million. But if you look at Roku's chart, it's been pretty flat and down 25% all day. So like, what what's the... <sighs> What what is the impact of knowing that fifty million that the average volume is traded way higher today than, than a typical day? Right, the, it's a great question, and it's and it's Thank the you. classic question. You know, it, so it, I, I'll go back to a very basic idea of the difference between volume and liquidity, which uh, I had explained to me by good friend Joe Saluzzi. You know Joe mm-hmm. Saluzzi, oh, and yeah. he's he. So it was a decade ago, and he said to me, Tim, if I have a beer and I hand it to you. And you hand it back back to me, which I would be unlikely to do, by the way. <laughs> uh, and then 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 I hand it back to you. What is the volume and what's the liquidity? And he said the volume is four. The four beers have traded hands, but the liquidity is one. There's only one beer. IEX published some beautiful data about what happens to the the quote and volumes. When there is a change in information, that information can be earnings, it could be options expirations, and it tra- and they track the data from full-service broker-dealers, so that would be a Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, et cetera. Full-service means they provide the full suite of brokerage services. There's a tiny little bit. Agency brokers, so this would be like the old ECNs. Instanet is an agency broker owned by Nomura, where they don't commit capital. It's a platform that you can match on. Citadel operates an agency brokerage. Themis Trading, Joe's firm, is an agency brokerage. Yeah. They're not committing their capital. There's a little more increase in it. Then there are proprietary traders like Hudson River Trading, uh, Quant Lab, Infinium, GTS, the Tower Research, Two Sigma. On the uh, and there is a colossal, like twenty factor explosion in the amount of activity 
around any change to the bid and the offer caused by these firms, which don't own anything at the end of the day. So there's your answer, AB. When you see explosions of volume, most of the time, the likelihood that that involves large institutional movement is a number approaching zero. And we've long known this. We tell people you can't use volume as a measure. You have a terrible prime broker if your prime broker causes a movement in volume. Your prime broker should melt your orders right into the order flow. Otherwise, they're being picked off. So when you see those explode, there's a clear reason for it today. That, 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 that's, that's, how, that, that's why you see these huge volume spikes at the close and the price barely, barely budged. Yeah, right. Of course, remember, yeah. everybody's trying to get the reference price, too. Right, so then right, machines right, right. get in the middle of that, and everybody wants the average price because they need that. Yeah. If you are running a mutual fund, the only price you can give to your fiduciary clients is the Close. reference price, the last yeah. price. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, wait, Tim, I'm sorry. Oh, I have one more question, then we'll let you hop yeah. because we've, we can do this all day. But I have a question that I've, I've asked several people, and I've stumped them all. I keep yeah. forgetting to ask Dennis, and I'm going to ask you yeah. now before I forget. Uh, um. So I want to bring up this chart here. Okay, this this is BDSI. It's a small biotech. It got acquired last week. Okay, okay. got acquired for five yeah. five sixty a share. So okay. my question for you is: the day the acquisition was was announced, it was February fourteenth. I guess that was Monday. Um, Sixty one million shares traded on on Monday. Okay, I, I understand. I have that. I okay. understand who the sellers are. Who is buying BDSI on Monday? after the indeed the, the news of the deal is announced <laughs> uh the, sh the short answer is what we call fast traders that is a classic example of the two things we've just spent all this time talking about which is uh the market maker exemption from short locate rules and the ability of machines to explode the volume and not have to worry about where the supply is coming from so that is all arbitrage and it's related okay. to derivatives so this is an effort to create an arbitrage spread between BDSI and, say, biotech futures contract and options on a futures contract or a basket of options and to profit on that. But remember, a high-frequency trader wants a half penny. That's it. So if I could trade 60 million shares and I make a half penny, wow, what a day. And there's nothing stopping them from doing it. All right, so that all the time in my own that, was, that was my theory was yeah. all these people, if you, if you zoom way out here, right yeah. on this chart, all these people to the left that have yeah. owned this stock all this time, they're yeah. selling. They're, their stock's going off the board regardless. They're selling regardless. Yep. Um, yep. But on Monday specifically, they're selling to just an endless series of machines that are yep. trading with each other. That was exactly. my That was my – Okay. Okay. Now we know. Now I feel and, better about it. And that stuff won't cash settle. It will. That the liquidity coming from high frequency traders will will commence on this on the same day that it's returned to the custodian. The tiny little bit of it that there that existed out there. So I could so I, I could go take borrow a hundred shares and trade it a million times and create a hundred million shares of volume, but it's still only a hundred shares. Still just one beer. That's what happens. All right, yep. Tim Quast. If you guys, if you want more uh, from Tim, I highly recommend you check out his uh, site, marketstructureedge.com. He puts out his note there, his his research is there, his data is there. Uh, can't recommend that enough. Uh, Tim, we'll talk to you again on Monday on Premarket Prep. Have have a great three day weekend, guys. Oh, oh, thank oh, you. oh no, no, no show Monday. Right. No <laughs> market structure Monday. No, no market, market structure, structure Monday. Monday. Oh, uh, we'll talk to you. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks, Tim. Okay. Talk in a couple weeks. All right. <laughs>
Damn, I forgot about that holiday. Um, all right, we'll talk to Tim in two weeks. Um, that was a fantastic conversation. The problem is with 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 Tim is a. I always feel like I never got, I never I never got to the bottom of what I wanted to know because we always end up going down different rabbit holes, and then I always my brain is exhausted now, Aaron, because I, I. I, I, I'm so like deep in thought down these rabbit holes of market structure that I like I, I need a break after. But so here's the deal um, for the rest of today's show. We're going to uh, end we're, early. We were supposed to have a guest, but uh, I did not confirm with her until very late in this process. So I think I think we're going to bump her to next week. And there is no moon or bus today because the moon or bus guys, um, uh, uh, Logan oh, and Ryan. Are also in Colorado. They're in Denver, which, as I understand, that is very close to Breckenridge, um, based on my my geography knowledge of of, of Colorado well, and the Rocky Mountains. Hour and a half drive. Uh, okay, sure. Uh, sure. They're at East Denver right now. They're going to be doing a stream later on in the day, probably at like six p.m. Eastern time. Uh, I basically told them I was like, "You need, we need content from you. We need posts. We need content from you." So there's no Moon or Bush show today. At two o'clock, but they are going to be doing a stream. I think later on in the day. I'm not going to tease who because I think they had to get permission yeah. to do it first from the conference. Um, so, so we'll probably go up for another five minutes here. If anyone's got any questions, any things they want us to look at in the chat, let us know. But Spencer, going back to, to Tim real quick, like you said, like your brain hurts from it, uh, and the conversation. You know, they, they oftentimes get in like the nitty gritty. But yeah. I, I like the idea. Um, or that concept of right supply and demand being the ultimate driver because it, it's a better explanation for me that for why Tesla's $850 a share when you yeah. look at the financials compared to Ford or GM or any of these legacy automakers is it's it's not about fundamentals or, or, or growth or anything. It's just about what is someone willing to pay for the name oh. Tesla on a stock uh, certificate. Which I forgot to mention to Tim, Tim would love – the Beanie Mania documentary on HBO. I finished it last night. Tim would love that. I'm, I'll, I'll send him a note after. Okay. Uh, um, Lady Fortuna wants us to recap Roku, please. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's that's good. We can do that. This lady. is what so, happens when a growth stock stops growing. So, so okay. What Tim said on Roku, remember, all of Tim's analysis is dependent on two things, supply and demand. Tim said, and he looks at supply as it pertains to and it's both of those numbers are are quantified by you know his proprietary data and he's looking at you know the the participants in the market and the and where the trades are coming from like i.e how trades are getting through the market pipes are they coming from a broker dealer are they coming from a high frequency trader uh and what that infers about where they're coming from so tim looked at roku for us and what tim said was okay um demand is not dropping but but the but the supply is rising, and so you get you get rising supply. Typically means a, a you know from his point of view, a lower price from a market structure perspective. The, the there is more uh, um, more supply of Roku shares out there, and this is not uh, because the float is increasing because it's not the float staying the same. It has to do with. Um, uh, uh, it has to do with the the broker dealers, uh, you know, you know, uh, the, and the prime brokers of the world uh, creating synthetic shares as it pertains to the whole conversation we just had. Yeah. So from Tim's from from Tim's point of view, the supply of Roku shares are rising. That's not a great sign. From a from a normal person's point of view, 
the chart kind of speaks for itself. Okay, the right. earnings were out yesterday, and they were pretty terrible, Aaron. Um, go. Well, so, so what here. I wanted to talk about was was for more of a, and this is this will be a nice segue, and because we do have to mention again, we're going to wrap here in about five minutes, but um, oh. we we do got to mention Kathy Wood too and Roku being yeah, one of yeah, the top yeah. holdings. We'll but from a long term perspective, like if if you're looking to get into Roku, what I would say is like. I like the company long term, right? Like you go buy a smart TV right now, they all come with Roku. Or if they don't, then people go out and buy the Roku. Like Roku is huge. I think it's going to continue to be huge. But I wait to see like oh, growth is getting hit all around right now, especially a stock like Roku that had the the COVID tailwinds at one point that has now seen that growth slowed. It's back to pre-COVID numbers. I mean, the chart, the chart's actually be, this chart is beautiful, Spencer. How symmetrical it, it is on that peak, right? Um, and we're now at pre-COVID levels. I just wait till you see that strength coming back in, right? We were just talking about supply and demand. You'll be able to see, even without market structure edge, when demand starts to increase, you'll be able to see it in the chart, then start a long position in there. Because could, could this continue dropping down to $90 a share? Sure. Could it reverse sure. on Tuesday? Sure. But I'd rather wait till that reversal comes in and we have that confirmation um, than trying to time it. If you are interested in Roku for a long-term position, and when I say long-term, I mean I'm talking at a minimum a couple of years. I'm talking like two to three years at a minimum. That to me is a long-term. That, that, that's what I qualify as a long-term position, a couple of years minimum. If you're interested in Roku for a long-term position, then there are worse times to buy it than now. This is not the worst time to buy it because – Two to three years from now, uh, are you really gonna care whether you got the stock for 106 or whether you got it for 100 or 95 or 90 or 110 or 115? Probably not. And also, as a prudent long-term investing strategy, you can scale into things. You don't have to buy your entire position. Well, that's what that's what I was gonna once. say. If I, if, I had an, yeah. if I had an envelope of cash that I wanted yeah. to buy Roku with, like the envelope just says Roku on it, it's got a thousand dollars of cash in it. I'd yeah. start deploying that position today. I wouldn't put yeah. all thousand dollars in it. I'd maybe buy two hundred dollars worth of Roku, you know, twenty percent, and then just build that position over time. Because, like we said, it could continue to drop, yeah. or you get that confirmation, and then you yeah. have more conviction. So you so you 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 double down. But um, those are the thoughts on Roku and Spencer. Well, wait, wait, wait. I wait. I have more thoughts though. I have more thoughts. Um, because okay, but you, Kathy Wood. You, well, yeah, but okay, fine. I, 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 I'm willing to stay past one thirty, so I, I'm going to do that because I, I have more things to say. All right, but well, fine. You, then let's keep going on Roku real quick. Okay, but my thought is, for so for a long term thing, if you want to start building a position, fine, right? Like let's say let's say your goal is to own a hundred shares or your goal is to own 50 shares, you want to buy, you know, five now, 10 now for the long term, fine. Um, I, If it were me and I wanted this thing for a short-term thing, there is zero chance I'd buy it today. Um, I think if you buy Roku today, you need to operate under the assumption that in the near term, you're going to lose money, okay? You are going to lose money if you in the near term if you buy Roku right now. If you're okay with that, then fine, right? Again, uh, if if you're okay, if you're gonna hold Roku for ten years, then do you really care about the next couple of weeks or couple of months, right, or or a year? Probably not, right? But you're going to lose money if you buy this stock today in the near term. You just are. Uh, yes, great comment in the chat. The PayPal chart, the Square chart, Roku, they all, all look the same. 
They all they're all the same. They're going to go. They've been going down, and they're probably going to keep going down. Frankly, that's just reality. You whenever you get a big gap down the Groku has today, you what what I always say is just wait for the dust to settle. Like look at look, look, look at Shopify. Okay, Shopify is on my shopping list. Pun intended. Uh, great company, great business. Okay, look at their earnings. Their earnings gap. They 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 had earnings on what was it Tuesday? I think it was Wednesday. Tuesday or Wednesday? I forget which. It doesn't matter. Okay, and they gap down on their report. Okay, their their growth is slowing. They gap down. They dropped in one day. They went from uh, eight forty three to a low of seven twenty, and it closed at some. So it fell a hundred dollars in one day. Okay. That was two days ago. We've fallen another hundred dollars in the next two days. Okay, there is more. Very often, never say always, but very often, more pain ahead when you get these huge gap downs. Wait for the dust to settle. If you're going to buy Roku, you need to accept the fact. Like if you're going to buy it today, accept the fact that you will lose money in the next few weeks, few months, who knows how long. If you're okay with that, then fine. But. That's where we're at right now. I would definitely yeah. not try to buy Roku today if I wanted to like um, make it for 100% trade. agreed. Okay. On the Kathy Wood trade, uh, on the Kathy Wood thing. Well, we got it. Yeah. What? I was going to say, first things first, we got to come to her defense a little bit. And that's yep. on the, the Zoom thing, right? This went viral on Twitter yesterday that the Zoom pop up that said you have. 20 minutes left or whatever when people you know basically everyone ran with it saying oh kathy wood you know owns this much of zoom stock but she can't pay for it okay well it turns out it, it came on the cnbc side um and, and kathy wood or not maybe not her but the arc twitter account put out kind of a snarky tweet about it saying um you know cnbc's time horizon maybe one hour but ours is five years um Basically, if you guys missed it, Kathy Wood went on CNBC for an hour-long interview yesterday. It got kind of heated. Um, and, you know, she's she's in the hot seat right now. She went from being, a year ago, everyone's most beloved investor to to being kind of the, uh, the face for all of this growth sell-off that we've seen over the past month. My, my question for you, Aaron, is do you think that interview yesterday, because it's very rare that CNBC – give someone that amount of airtime where like well, listen, that's hey, why that's why the zoom thing popped up come on come right long. right come on for the entire hour-long show that almost the only people i can think of where they ever do that um besides if it's like um you know guest host situation is like um they had einhorn on the other day for a while but it was on the phone so I wonder if they didn't run into the Zoom problem with him but but he was on but, but, but my, my question for you is do you think that interview yesterday will go down as like a tentpole moment that people will like remember almost like how they remember when uh Bill Ackman and Carl Icahn yelled at each other on CNBC or they remember when Jim Cramer had the meltdown during the great recession um do you think that interview when people when we look back at like Ark Invest in 5 years people are going to look back to that and say like oh that marked the begin the the beginning of the end or that marked the bottom yeah, well, I think I think it depends on what happens from here, right? I think if we continue to see kind of arc crash and burn as it's been doing the past couple months, then it will be like, okay, I remember when she came on. And and here's the thing that I think is not kind of ironic. I don't know if I'm going to say funny, but ironic. But she came on yesterday and said, 
we believe we saw the bottom and it was on January 27th. Well, a day later, we've fallen through that bottom. So she gave Kathy Woods famous for giving some of these uh, predictions, right? And that that's what I would say, like my biggest criticism of her at this point, because I do think a lot of it's not unwarranted, but a little bit overblown. Because if you look at ARC's returns over the last, well, actually, I haven't checked in a while, but <laughs> the last they're time still, I checked. They're, they're still, she talked a lot about the, uh, the, 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 the returns as it compared to like the NASDAQ. Also, right. she admitted. She admitted this is interesting. She admitted that she didn't even pay close attention to what is in the Nasdaq until recently, which I thought was interesting. Um, but not that she has to. But uh, the return profile, if you go back to inception, is still good because the first last five years are amazing. But right, if you look at like the five year return, it's still great. Yeah. So that's why I think it, it, people just have such a short, uh, like you know, attention span and memory that they, you know, you see something down 30% over the last three months and you're like, Oh my God. But then if you look zoom out and you're like, Oh wow, this has actually been very strong. All things considered. Yep. Um, I would say my biggest criticism of is I, I would like to see her, I guess, show a little bit more humility, a little bit more, um, yes. you know, to, to say things a, a, like that. A, a, acknowledging that a lot of people, cause the flows that into arc funds, I think hit their peak in January, December, or January, uh, 2021, that like about a year ago. Right. And so a lot of people are underwater. So an acknowledgement of that, I think is probably. Yeah. In, and, in, and just in, saying yeah. like, okay, maybe she should step back from making these like bold claims. Like we've seen the bottom when they don't come true the next day, because then over time you you continue to do that. You lose credibility, you lose trust in investors. But, um, yeah, my point to your point, Spencer was, I do think if we could, if, if arc, if this is if arc the story of arc is is over essentially then that will be the temple moment like people will look back at that if we see yeah. arc you know bounce back up and you know a year from now we're not having this conversation about arc being in the dumps then i think it's kind of like a, a foregone thing kind of a, a forgotten moment in time yeah i i think you know give her give her credit she sticks to her guns even when it's really hard to do that uh um and i her her unwillingness to give an inch on on her opinions is if you love her, it makes you love her more. And if you hate her, it makes you hate her more, right? Um, that's just the reality. So, Well, that's just um, what I wish, and this isn't for Kathy Wood, but I wish for everyone. Like we, we were, I, I feel like, a lot, you know, we're, we're in this time where, I, you know, things are have to be binary. Someone has to be good or bad, right? Like there are things I yeah. like about Kathy Wood and there are things I dislike. And I think that's I, fine. Yeah, that's a great point. I have I have been and will remain, let me pull it up on the screen, an, an owner of ARKW. It is a small piece of my portfolio. I do not I do not sweat it. I do not think about it. I mean, it's not going to kill me. And I, actually, I think at this point, let, let's, let's keep going left here. At this point, let's see. I bought ARKW. All right, I'm still up in it, but I'm up a lot less than I was. But that's neither here nor there, right? Um... If you if you own things like this, and you own them for the hope that they will go higher, that's not a good reason to own it, right? Hoping is not a good reason. Sadat Sadat says she she's only supposed to be five percent of your portfolio. Um, she is. That, she's five percent of my portfolio. Spencer brought that point up yesterday that she, that he thinks that even if you ask her, she would say this shouldn't be you know everything you have. You know, Arc shouldn't be yeah. your entire portfolio. It should be like yeah. a small growth aspect of it. Um, all right, Spencer, I got to hop. I know you've got yeah. a, a guest joining you. Here I do. Now. 
Yeah, I, I, I wasn't sure if she was going to join, but AB, uh, have a great weekend. Uh, you as don't, well. Don't, don't, don't ski too hard, all right? I'll see you on Tuesday. Uh, love you all, Zinger Nation. See you guys yeah. on Tuesday. Yeah, actually, Aaron and I are both going skiing this weekend. We'll see if you can ski harder. All right, I wasn't actually sure if my next guest was gonna was gonna be here because I emailed her very very late in the in 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 the uh, in the process. But she's here, and I'm excited. So let's bring her on the show, Allie Angel. She is a, just a trader. She's just a regular person, just like me and you. And uh, she trades uh, for a living. And I want to know about her her strategies and what she trades and how she does it. And uh, yeah, so let's get her on the show. I'm going to give Allie, because she's a new guest, we'll give her a special guest intro number two. All right, Allie, welcome to Benzinga Live. How are we doing? Hey, Sinzer, how are you? Dude, good. I really, like, I felt terrible because uh, I, you emailed me yesterday and I didn't respond because it was a whole thing. I'm sorry, but uh, I'm glad. I'm glad you're here anyway. Me too. Yeah. So I woke up a little bit late. I was working on my guide last night until about four o'clock this morning. And what? yeah, so about, I don't know, 20 minutes ago, I was checking my email. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I'm here. Um, I have sorry. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm cool. sorry. Alex. Like, this is me in the raw. So it's, it's awesome. <laughs> this is how I look on most days. I do have pants on though. So that's a plus. But <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I wouldn't have known otherwise. So exactly. I, I, yeah, that's, yeah. That's the greatest yeah. thing about trading. No pants. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about what, what, what kind of trader are you? What do you trade? What are your strategies? How do you do things? And also, if if you want, you you have the option to share your screen, and we can we can see your charts, and we can. I didn't have anything things. set up. I literally. Okay, that's fine. Uh, oh, that's but, fine. Uh, so, I started in 2018, and I, in real life, don't like rules, but in trading, I love rules because you can make them work. You know yep. what these companies are going to do. So my first trades were the reverse split. And back in, you know, 2019, when that was hot, awesome. And then 2020. Wait, 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 wait. When you say the reverse split, what do you uh, mean? What do you mean? You're, 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 you're trading stocks that are doing reverse stock splits? Yes. Don't that, it sounds horrible, right? But there's rules I mean, around it. <laughs> I, 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 I hope you're shorting them. I, I, no. I okay, so I am a long trader. Uh, I okay. tried shorting when I first started, and I get really cynical. And I like to be positive, and I like to have zero anxiety in my life. So okay. I learned very quickly shorting wasn't for me. Okay. Uh, long trader. Uh, I like to swing trade because okay. I get anxiety when I day trade. That morning <laughs> panic. And like, Fair. who named it that? Seriously. But... Long trader, and I look for things at lows, and of course, it's the generic buy low, sell high. Well, you have to buy at the lows in order to be a swing trader. You can't just get in and oh, it's probably going to stay here. Stop losses. I totally spam social media with stop losses save accounts because they do. So I very early on started using stop losses, and we just kind of track everything. I love spreadsheets. Spreadsheets are kind of my life. It's a little ridiculous, but they get your ability to create statistics and see what the probability is. So now I, all these IPOs and the OTC uplists and currently the DSPACs, my screens are this way. So that's why um, I'm pointing over there, but with these, they all have rules they have to follow. And knowing the rules is really tedious. And there's a lot of FINRA rules, SEC rules, NASDAQ, you know how they are. But if you know them, you can follow them. 
So, or you can know the companies are going to follow them. So, so can you maybe explain, like, let's start, let's start with, let's start with the de-SPACs. Like, okay. how, how do you trade a, a, a stock that is de backing So I don't trade when there's still a SPAC. So there's a couple different things that go with the SPAC. We've got the redemptions, they can fail. Uh, we have ones that, you know, go to 80. I'm never going to trade that. SPACs generally hang out around $10. That's healthy. They de-SPAC and then they have this process. So we're going to have our redemption values. A lot of them right now for the warrant conversions are at 1150. So that's a safe number. If they're over 1150, I'm not going to trade them because they don't really have to get them much higher. Look for exercise prices to see what they're doing. <clears throat> Excuse me. I really did just wake up. Water. That's okay. I feel like I, I've been up since five in the morning, so don't worry about it. Oof. Yeah, it's about when I went to bed. My time, though. Finger on Eastern. <laughs> yeah. So with the with the DSPACs right now, we have three basic plays that are coming out the gate. So they either spike and go crazy, or they die, or they're just boring. It's going to be one or the other. The boring ones, there's generally a lockup. And if the company doesn't have to move it, they're not going to. The ones that I love are the ones that die. So they're chilling at $10. They de-spac and they just out the gate fall. All right. I'm going to bring up some examples here. Where are yes. my charts? Come on. Okay. So like a, like a Wee Joe, is that one you're, you're mm. thinking of? I'll give you a more like recent a, one today. QNGY. Oh, okay. Or Dave, D-A-V-E. Dave, I know. Let's go okay, to Dave. Let's do Dave. Yeah, Dave, I know. Yeah. Let me okay. pull up the chart also. All right. I've got it up on my screen here. Oh, wait. I'm not sharing it. Come on. Hold on. Let me share my screen with you all so you can see what I'm seeing. There we go. Okay. Yes. All right. So all that boring line, that's as a SPAC. SPACs right. are going to hold like $10. That's what they do. They have the redemption, like 9 or 9.50 is generally the base on that. So that's safe. They de-spec and all of a sudden we're in no man's land and they die. And this is the part that I love. So Dave dropped to nine. There was a pattern in 2021 where they would hold at nine, maybe get to eight, and then they would reverse. So we started watching Dave at that point. And then we have that knife. And anybody who follows me on social media knows I love knife day. It's normally on Thursdays. And that's when I really start watching these. When it has that knife and it just dies. So then I want the basing. So how we've got, you know, a few days of basing around five, it actually went into the fours, I believe. And yeah, we've got four, it's like 480, 490. I think the low was 470, 462. And then Hang on, let me pull yeah, for a couple days one. there. Yes. So when it hits that, I actually have my line drawn at 470. So it looks like okay. that's where I got in on it. But that consolidation for a couple days, that's what I'm looking for. And then we have the run. Now, these guys had to run their 1150 to do the warrant conversion. So I know at some point, it's got to get back up to that level. Now, the key on these is, of course, trying to get in as low as possible and respecting your stop losses, if not. If you get in and you're kind of, oh, well, it might go lower, put in a hard stop. It's going to save you in the long run. And we make it happen goes lower cool you can get back in you're not stuck in it i hate looking at red on my screen even if it's a little bit so i'm happier just to cut it and try to get back in later ali real fast can you just like fiddle with your mic a little bit because i'm getting some crackling Uh, i think it might be 
I'm not sure. Is that there better? Might be a, there might be a loose connection somewhere. I, I still hear you pretty very okay. clearly, but it's probably I deal with that crap all the time. Um, gotcha. but, but what I'm what I'm curious though is like you said four four seventy. So like define your entry for us. How how did you know when to get in here? And also so where was where was your stop? So my stop is normally within 10 cents of getting in at the very Whoa, house. tight, 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 tight. Very, very tight. And it's just because I have so many statistics on these knifing. Uh, okay. That's, that's what they do. Uh, with the IPOs, there were so many of them in the threes that were holding in 2021, and now they're sitting at $1. So that would have been dangerous. None of them have run yet. So we know they're going to run. But having a stop loss and just letting it go down, consolidates getting back in another stop loss just in case there's a couple of the ones in january i hit stop losses like four or five times and now i'm back in at you know a dollar 30 or a dollar 10 and they have these redemptions or the conversions at five seven ten we know they've got to get there it's just a matter of waiting wait so but how did you know when to get in though is my question so the double bottom uh, and that's something that I started doing. Um, I actually have a line drawn on the screen at 470 because the first candle on the 10th dropped. And then the second one, the next day, dropped again. And that was at 480. So I do, <laughs> I have people that make fun of me for this. I do ghost orders. So they're the really low ones that fill ridiculously early in the morning. And that happened to be one of them. So the 470 was my first entry. Wait, t- time a, out. Wait, wait. What is a ghost order? Basically, I'm not going to talk about share numbers, um, but I put in an order that is low enough, excuse me, high enough. So it hasn't gone to the low previously, but to me, it seems reasonable. If you look at the chart, we've got three days where we had. What was it? I don't know. Okay, so I don't do the whole wick thing, but it had, if you go to a four hour on it, we had that long wick first thing in the morning. The second day bounced right at that at that line at 480, and then the third day. So the third day is when I'm looking to get in. Zoom. Yeah, zoom in. Zoom way. Yeah, right in there. So by, <laughs> I definitely just went to move my mouse on my screen. <laughs> All right, so see where we have. Right, right there. Yes. That's what you're saying. Okay. Yes. So that consolidation, and Dave is just one of those, like, it. it's one of so many of them that does the consolidation. I generally want a three to five day on these. This one happened to be a three day. We've had a couple others recently that are on a five day, and I'm trying to build my position within that. So I'm not going to go all in on that first candle i'm gonna okay. go a starter okay. on it and see and then so whoa hold on so and then you um there we go so you bought you buy down there uh, you, you're out now i presume oh yeah i'm definitely out uh with this one i actually only held it back to 10. there's no point for me to hold it much higher um especially when it's doing this slow walk i like that the yeah. second consolidation i'm done with it there's no point Yes, a lot of these can run to just crazy levels. We have a couple yesterday that were 30, 60, 108. I am never going to hold to that. I like exercise prices, and then I go to the next one. 
I, I like that because you're, you're not like, oh, but it, but it could go to 20 and I don't want to miss that. No, no. Take, okay. take, take your gains and run. Yeah. Uh, real fast, Ali, I'm just going to move you backstage for a second. Can you just like check your mic connection and just unplug it and plug it back in because we're, we're getting some pretty significant crackling here uh, on our end. So uh, I think you just have a loose, you probably have a loose wire somewhere, somewhere along the mic connection. All right. Here, I'll, I'll move you backstage and I'll, I'll let you do that. Uh, okay, that's a, I've never heard that strategy before. Also, am I the only person that never heard of a ghost order? If I'm the only person that never heard of a ghost order, then fine. But I, 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 I hope I'm not because I'd feel silly. Um, so, uh, okay, and, and if you have any questions for, for Ali, by the way, guys, drop them in the drop stickers in the chat. We have, we have a couple minutes left that we're going to hang out with her. Okay, Ali, I'm going to bring you back on. How are we how are we looking here? How do we sound? Just uh Okay. Yes. That does oh. sound better. Okay. I have a new laptop and the connections are like mm. you know how wires yeah. go. So I know I know how wires go. Okay. <laughs> so so okay, so this was one example of the D SPAC trade. Yes. Um and but that that that's do do you trade are there multiple patterns you found with D SPACs or is is this, this just is the main way? This, this is, is the one that I like. Okay. And then we've got a couple others. We have the ones that just spike out the gates. Uh, we had a couple of them yesterday. And honestly, I haven't, I didn't play them when they spiked out. So yeah, I don't remember the tickers. I'm that person. Once I stop trading it, I kind of forget what it is. That's why I had to look on the screen to see what I'd played. Um, just, not getting attacked here, is huge. Here's an interesting question. Where do you get your... How do you find your DSPAC tickers? So SPACtrack.io and uh, it used to be SPACtrack.net. And I found him a while ago and great information. You can download everything if you're on the paid version of it. So what I'll do is actually track the SPACs because there's a delay between the vote and them being listed. So you have to know what's going on with the SPACs, know when the merger vote is, I track the ones that are already in a definitive agreement because then we have a specific time frame. I'm not waiting for them to find a DSPAC company or, you know, because that can take for some of these, it's a year. I don't want to wait that long. I'm not going to worry about it. Download the DEF agreements and see what we've got going soon. He posts the completion dates. That's great. I love it. Do, do you trade the warrants at all? I, th- yes. This is coming from the chat because that would all that would make sense here. That would make more sense, actually. Uh, so that might be, um, actually from one of my guys, they love that, um, they love that I trade the warrants. So yes, I do trade warrants. Uh, I have obviously the brokers that I can trade them. And what I'll do is wait until these companies, uh, get to lows. And if I'm not sure it's actually at a low, a lot of times I'll throw a starter and I just let it sit on the bid on the warrants. Um, one of them right now is CPTNW and, if you look at the warrants, they're ridiculously cheap. And I mean, so is the ticker, but they're just going. And oh, it looks like I made money today. Cool. So <laughs> I haven't logged into anything. I sold QNGY and what was the other one? In our GV this morning and went right back to bed. Uh, my room actually blew up my phone trying to wake me up. And I'm like, yeah, I'm awake. Okay, I'm selling. Uh, so yeah, cool. I haven't sold that yet. I should probably log in and check that. But the warrants are great. In my tracker, uh, I track all the warrants also. And anytime they're just knifing is a huge thing for me. So they hit a couple knives, 
the primary ticker hits a couple knives. When, 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 when you say knife, when you say knifing, is that just an, your word for a big old big red that candle? Huge red candle. Yes. Okay. okay. IPOs do that also. So IPOs, that third knife, is where I'm yeah. generally looking to get in. I know it's it's totally well, I, a mind blown thing. Also, I, 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 I'm mostly with you here, Allie. But the one thing awesome. that you, you you keep saying that that I, I I'm I'm having a hard time here is is how, like how do you know when the stock is bottomed? You know, or, or, or may you don't. You don't. Right. That's why you use stop losses. Okay, that's fair. I mean, yeah. I uh -huh. don't. I don't like anxiety. I don't yeah. like anything risky, which is crazy because I'm a trader and it's all risky. But if I have a stop loss, then it doesn't matter if I sleep in until, you know, 25 minutes ago. That's true. If right. it hits, That's it hits. Fair. And then I get back in. That's fair. Uh, your stop loss is, you said always around 10 cents. Do you do you over, do you like a percentage based on like, I don't want to lose more than 10% yes. or 5%. Okay. Cool. So normally it's actually a 1% when these are lower oh. price stickers. Oh, I know. I know. So I'll set them how, at- Wait, wait. How, how do you not get shaken out all the time though? That's That seems like a, like, I guess you clearly you don't, you must not, but I mean, if it works for you, great. But I, that seems like it's so tight to me. I get in on reversals. Yeah, okay. I get in on reversals. That is the key. And that's something that I've been trying to beat in everybody's heads. If you're trying to get in as this is going down, of course you're gonna hit every single stop loss. If you're trying to hit the dead bottom, you're you're probably not going to because it's a totally mental thing. If yeah. you catch it on the reversal, once it's double bottomed or triple bottomed or consolidated for four or five days, and it's obviously going back up, then you have that leeway to get in and to add on the way up. I have zero mm -hmm. issue raising my average. That's not my problem. I don't want to be in and be like, oh, I got to average down. I, I, oh, I, I got to. <laughs> I, I, I think it's funny when people don't want to, when people are afraid of averaging up because right. they, oh, don't mess it. Don't fuck up my cost basis. Screw your cost basis. Are yeah. You, like, are you, are, are you making money or not? Like, yeah. what's, what, what are we talking about here? We're talking about your cost basis. You can't, why? So you, so you can brag to your friends? I mean, come on. Yeah. To me, if you're averaging up, you're in the right place at the right time. And it has yeah. nothing to do with being right. It's yeah. being in the right place at the right time and then you're good to go like just make it happen yeah. and be patient that's another thing with us be patient so many traders are not patient drives me crazy all right oh wait i i'm dropping uh the links to ali's twitter uh is that your main platform twitter uh yeah trading or, fit or girl you... is actually on everything so i have youtube okay. um i have my guide on vimeo you can find me literally trading fit girl on everything in my life right. guys. I'm, I'm dropping the link to that in the chat right now. There it is. So check it out. Trade uh, at trading fit girl uh, across the board. Um, okay. So, so we, we went through the SPAC, the, the SPAC strategies. That's okay. interesting. Uh, let's do like one more, whether it's, I, I don't care. IPOs, Opolis. No, let's do Opolis. I, this, this should be good. So uh, I, <laughs> okay. I, I want to hear, how, I want to hear how you trade these Opolis. Okay. So, Uplists have to do with the lockup expiration. And I know that completely blows everybody's mind that these stocks don't move unless the company wants them to move or the underwriter or whoever's running them. So we have so many people want to get in on day one. Don't do that. That's not the time. Let them die. Let the influencers, you know, have fun with them because they're all low float. We have so many rooms and influencers that are on these because, oh, it's a low float. Well, 
yeah, it's a low float, but that means that these rooms can actually mess up the cycle on them. So CELZ is a perfect example. Uh, if you want to yeah. pull that up, I'm going to pull it yeah. up here also. CELZ. Uh, this was one that I played the waves on, and it's actually a chart that I would generally avoid just because oh, it, yeah, it's messy. It's so messy. So, so, so this was a stock that I traded on the OTC markets and uplisted yes. to the NASDAQ in, yes. it looks like in November. Yes. So we still had a lot of um, influencers on these at this point, and they would just run out the gate and then they would die because that's what they do. And you can see almost exactly where the pushes were and the tweets are if you look on a daily or a four hour. So the key to playing the, we'll call them pumps because they really are, the influencer pumps is going to be wait for that consolidation. You can see day three through what, six on it. It basically was in a nice little channel under two. We know that they have to go higher eventually. So the list price is always my key. I'm checking. Why? Why, why? why? Why do they have to go higher eventually? So the companies that do the offerings or all companies do offerings. I don't know. I said that do. There are exercise prices that are attached. The exercise price is when whoever's holding the shares has agreed when it hits that price, they're going to go ahead and sell or convert. So anything that has warrants that are convertible at whatever exercise price, they can't dump those. Warrants can't just be sold in the market. They have to convert them to commons. So say it's $5. They've got to wait until that price gets up to $5. Then they can convert to their commons and then they can actually make money and sell their commons. So things that I pay attention to, exercise prices, and sometimes they're different for the conversion of the warrants and then the common shares. So really want to pay attention to where those are at. Some of them recently, they have their list price at you know $3 or $5, and they can convert it like $1.50. I'm avoiding that one. That's just dumb because, cool, it's a short. I'm not a short. So yeah. I call them, hey, this is just... This is trash. It's going to go down and go from there. Those I avoid. But this one was, it was a scout play for me. I did a couple swings on it when it was consolidating. We had two different spots on it that just right out the gate, it died, consolidated spike. That was, that was a room that day. And then it came back down. I waited for it to consolidate again. And then it ran. I actually sold out at three. It uh, looks like my order entry was 211. I like 211 and 222. It's my thing. I don't know why. Uh, and then I just sold it at three. So I probably sold it when they really started hitting it because I know how quickly, once we have influencers on these, how how quickly they can rug pull. So I'm going to take a scalp and get out. All right. I just dropped, again, I dropped the link uh, to Ali's Twitter in the chat. Within, on that Twitter profile is a link to the rest of her. Um, chaos. Uh, her, yeah, her, her chaos. There we go. <laughs> Uh, all right, Allie, I know you just woke up, so I appreciate you uh, spending the first part of your day with us. We'll love to have you back, but have a great weekend. Awesome. Thanks, Spencer. You too. All right. All right. Uh, and hopefully next time we can get the mic situation worked out. Uh, but I, I sympathize with new equipment because new equipment can be buggy. All right. Here's the deal. Uh, we're going to hop off. We're going to wrap this show right now. As I mentioned, no moon or bust today because the guys are in Denver for the East Denver Conference. So I will catch you guys in... Um, 
what, an hour 40, uh, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time on Benzinga uh, at the close with Joel and myself. I feel like I've been on live all day today. Um, so that's a wrap. Thanks to our guests, all of them. Thanks to Allie. Thanks to Tim. Thanks to Jesse. Thanks to Steve. Thanks to all of you in our chat. Some housekeeping items before we go. Housekeeping item number one. I'll be back live here tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow on Saturday. If you have not signed up for the Benzinga Bootcamp, you really, really should. Where is the link for it? Is that it? Yep. Uh, it's a free event. That's not, wait, that's not the thing I want to share. Hold on. Let's try that again. Free event, but signing up gives you access to the recording after the fact. If you want to re-watch it. Here it is. BenzingaBootcamp.com is the link. Uh, it's free tomorrow, all day, youtube.com slash Benzinga9. I know it says 5 there, but it's actually 9 to, I think, 3 or 3.30 tomorrow. I'll be your host. Uh, we got a full day of education planned. Uh, look, there I am. Uh, Peter Brandt, longtime veteran of the markets. Dave Mazza from Direction. Gianni DiPochi, Mark Petrino, Nick Shaheen, although that, that's actually a, uh, a paid session there. Jim Cagnino on how to trade futures uh, at noon. And Marie Band, when to cut your losses. We could all learn a thing or two about cutting losses and when to do that. Uh, Chris Preble from Schaefer's on option strategies. Chris Capri using options as a hedge. So, again, great day of education all day tomorrow. YouTube.com slash Benzinga to watch it live. BenzingaBootCamp.com to register and get the recording after the fact. Check that out. Second thing I want to say is Benzinga Pro is the main platform that we use for all of our news and research and tools here at Benzinga. If you want to get 25% off, I'm going to put the link in the chat right now to do that. It's it's on the screen, but click on the, this link in the chat to get 25% off Benzinga Pro right off the bat. You should do that. Third thing I want to do before we wrap up here is we haven't even looked at the crypto heat map today. So uh, why don't I pull up the crypto heat map and we can do a quick crypto update. I, I have a hunch of, of what color it is. So let's do, let's do that right now. All right. Here's my heat map. Oh, yeah, I was right. I was right. All right. Yep. It's a risk off kind of a day, which means any risk on assets are going to trade down. Crypto is a risk on asset. It's a growth asset. It trades with tech. Tech goes down. Crypto goes down. Oof. Always interesting to watch crypto into a long weekend, right? We're all, we're off on Monday, obviously, um, but crypto can do some funky things in long long weekends when stock markets closed. Uh, regardless, uh, if you want some free Bitcoin, go to the Voyager app, sign up, use the offer code Zing, Z-I-N-G, fund your account with 100 bucks, make a trade, and Voyager will send you $50 in free Bitcoin just for signing up. Check that out. All right. Um, let's see. I plugged the boot camp. We did. Yes. What uh, well, we're doing at the close today, Proton. Uh, uh, 3.30. Uh, I plugged the boot camp. I plugged Pro. I did the crypto update. Um, how are we doing on the like front? 80, 82? Oh, let's get to 100. Come on. Nice round number. Let's get to 100 likes. Hey, 
I see a few people in the chat have become uh, YouTube members. Shannon C, YouTube member. If you want to become a member of Benzinga's YouTube community, click that little join button that's on the YouTube page right there. Right now, we only have one membership tier. It's four bucks a month, and it uh, gives you access to custom emojis. There's an emoji of me, of Aaron, of Luke, of Mitch, and there's one more. I think I'm forgetting. Uh, we'll be adding more stuff. That we'll be adding more emojis. We'll be adding more perks. We will eventually be doing uh, days where we only produce content for our YouTube members, uh, and there will be days where we will block the chat so only our YouTube members can chat. That's 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 a little bit ways out. Uh, but that's the direction we're going with this. So check it out, youtube.com uh, slash Benzinga. Click the little join button and uh, become a YouTube member. And we appreciate all of our members right now. And now I think I can wrap. So uh, hit the like button. We're at 86 likes right now. I think we can maybe get to 100. Benzinga Pro. Anthony says rude. Anthony, why am I rude? I don't, I don't think. What was I, what was I rude for? I don't think I was rude. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yes. Uh, PSA. If you see anybody posing as Benzinga in the wild, email us, scamreports at Benzinga.com. We will take care of it. But we've had some reports of people pretending to be us. We will never DM you asking you to give us cri the crypto. So that that ain't us. Yeah, eventually, Anthony. N not Not right now, but eventually. And it won't be like a permanent thing. It'll be like a one day a week thing. But that's not we're not we're not doing that right now. But that is the end game. Uh, the point is we we are still figuring out how to add value to the YouTube membership. We've got emojis, but it, it'll it'll build out into more 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 content. So uh, no, Paul, that was not us. You should look into that if I were you. Um, you should look into that. All right, I made it to two o'clock. I'll catch you guys in an, uh, an hour and a half for At The Close with Joel. Everyone have a great, um, great time between then. And uh, let's end the show today with a commercial for Benzinger Pro. It is the core of this company. Did you know nearly all stock price changes of 10% or more result from a single news headline? That's right. News headlines have a unique ability to drive stock prices up or down. These news catalysts create trading opportunities every day. All you need is a little help to reach out and take them. And if you're looking to grow your portfolio, it doesn't matter if your investment budget is small or big. An easy-to-read stream of news headlines will increase your opportunities to profit from price changes in the stock market, consolidate a knowledge-based investment strategy, and grow your portfolio. All you need is Benzinga Pro and its powerful news alerts, price tracking, and portfolio monitoring to make a positive change in your trading performance. We've already helped thousands of retail traders across the world, and they could not be happier. Increase your market knowledge, boost your exposure to big movers, and make informed trades before major price changes. The opportunities are all around you. Subscribe now and we'll skyrocket your portfolio today.